So I drive to his house. I park outside, I look at the door, and I think, okay, I'm gonna do it. I walk up to the door and I knock. Porch light comes on, key starts to from the inside. The door opens, and it's him. <gasps> oh, God. I couldn't believe it, and nor could he. I called him out on everything. Wow. I used all the language. Yeah. He calls for a knife. He calls for a knife. Yeah. His wife goes, don't be so stupid. I'm not getting that. The police arrive. They come for me. And they jump out of their police cars, blue lights, the lot. They ask me what I'm doing here. I point at the door and I say, that's the man that sexually abused me as a child and I've come to speak to him about it. Mm. Changes everything. Mm. The whole vibe changes. Mm. They go and ask him and his wife some questions. They ask me some questions. They come to me and they say, we're so sorry, but they want to press charges against you. Hi, this is the New Mind Podcast. Today's guest is Jeremy Indica, who is here to talk about his history of sexual abuse, but also the work that he does in this area. Now, it's a really interesting episode for me because there's lots of different layers as to why someone like Jeremy may not choose to speak out, and it's very important that he does. Um, and I know that for a lot of you, this is going to be a difficult episode to listen to. You might feel triggered at some point during the process. If you do, just stop, take a pause, but please do come back because we're going to cover some really important subjects. Um, but obviously this is a storytelling podcast. We all know that now. Um, and the reason that I do it this way is because I want you to feel connected to the story and I want you to feel like you're part of a community that really matters, that really cares, um, which brings me neatly on to introducing you, Jeremy. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me on. Well, I said just there about um, the community aspect and the connection because you've created something very similar. And I know it's really important to you as well. So normally, actually, and I think I even said this to you, I would start off with your early childhood stuff. But before we go there, just tell us a little bit about the community that you've created um, so that we can make sure we do cover that properly. Amazing. So I launched a platform called Something to Say. And the reason why I launched that was because I got so much confidence through sharing my own story. Yes. I thought, why not give others the space to do so too? And I worked with um, a brilliant designer called Naria, who we got a logo going and some branding going. And we just started inviting people to share their stories on that platform. So, of course, some submissions came in. People started reading them, sharing them. And then more people started sharing. And then the community just grew. And then me and Kaz, who I work with on this on this work, um, we decided, well, let's try to get a bit more variety in the platform. So it's not just people's stories every time, even though that's incredibly powerful. Um, there are going to be some people where that becomes a bit too much for yeah. them too. And also we want information on there is what we decided. So people started submitting articles. People started submitting their poetry, artwork. I love that. It's just brilliant, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. And so it's actually a community-driven page. Um, everything that we post on there is created by the community and we've just launched some clothing some hoodies and some t-shirts off the back of it we've just launched a podcast we just launched a youtube channel so it is an incredible loving inspiring 
community full of strength and courage and that was always my aim do you know why that's so important is that I, I remember years ago and people know my story by now but there was nothing out there, there was no therapy there was no nothing and um when the internet first launched which i i i think the first time i used it i was 22 mm. right and so it's like i think how old am i now so 23 years ago was the first time i used the internet and one of the things that I found strength in the internet was was poetry, right. survivor's poetry, because I, I'd never met anyone like me before. No one spoke the way they do. and People weren't telling their stories because of shame and all those sorts of things. It just wasn't culturally the norm, was it? And I, I remember seeing um, something that Tori Amos, you know, the singer Tori Amos, yes. she's got some sort of history of sexual abuse. And I think she did a poem or a song or something like that. And it was through reading other people's poetry that I was like, God, I really feel like I'm, you know, in the depths of despair. I'm not the only one. I'm not on my own. Someone else is literally getting me and I'm getting them. And so what you're doing, I know from having needed that myself is is so powerful. But it's so common. It's so common that people write that to us as well. Just yeah. through reading other people's stories, they may never want to share their story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They may have never told anybody that, and they don't intend to, and that's fine. Yeah, it is, yeah. But just to read other people's stories, um, we pose a lot of questions on there as well, like, you know, what inspired you? Um, have you got your favourite book that you could recommend to the community? Like, there's just so much going oh, on on yeah, there. yeah, I love that. Um, and... It's just so powerful for people to hear. And also because I kicked it off from a place of strength and courage, that's really my my thing. It's actually continued with the people that are writing their story. So yeah. they're actually writing it from a position of strength and courage. Yes, yes, yes. Right, because I, when I started researching this topic after coming to terms with what happened to me in my childhood, what I noticed was it's overwhelmingly sadness and sorrow. Yes, it is. You're right, yeah. And you know, rightly so, because it is sad. But I also would love to inject a bit of strength and courage into the conversation. And hope. And hope, because that will give people hope. Yes, yeah, so true. Right. That's, that is, when you connect to someone else and you see that they're further on in the journey than you are, it gives you hope, Hope is a it? great word to use. Yeah, yeah. And I always think about the young teenagers who are looking to us olders for yeah, direction, yeah. right? And what kind of example are we going to set? If we're 100% going to talk about it with sadness and sorrow, yeah. where's, where, where's that going to lead Yeah, them? yeah, yeah. Right yeah. down that path. Yeah. And I think it's necessary to have that path, but it's also necessary to have various paths. You have to have it all. You can't and, have a darkness without the light and right, vice versa. Right, So that's what I'm pursuing. Wow. I mean, that gives an inroad into yeah. your story. Yeah. Um, so let's go all the way back to get to back to where we are now. Yeah. Um, so tell me about growing up for you. By the way, before you start telling this, yeah. I really want to hook this in because you told me some fascinating stuff about what you've left behind. Yeah. So, yeah, I just want to just reiterate how passionate you are about this. Yeah. Okay. So okay. off you go. So let's start it at eight years old. Okay. So what kind of child was I? I was energetic, outgoing, confident, throwing a few jokes out in class, <laughs> nice set of friends. And I would say an average kind of young kid, but nothing like untoward. Mm -hmm. And my parents have recently separated. They've just been through a divorce. So How that, was that? Um... Oh, it's so funny you asked me that question because I was sitting for dinner with my close mates the other day and, um, you know, we're I'm 38 years old. Mm -hmm. So if you are separating and the children are 
questioning what that means mm. and um somebody passed the comment of uh, they'll get used to it or they'll understand later and i felt like that was a complete misunderstanding of how a child can look at divorce of their parents which yeah. are like their strongest unit in their world and you know i look back at it and i think it definitely affected me yeah right and you know we know that life unfolds and you know relationships break and that's kind of the process in some situations, but it definitely affects children. Yeah, it does. I think it's almost throwaway now. Like, oh, they'll be fine. Children are oh, so resilient. I don't know. I I, I I find lots of resistance with that throwaway attitude. Yeah, because every child's different for a start. Absolutely. How, how can you know that all children are resilient? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a nice thing for us to think to... To, makes it a to, bit easier yeah yeah for and for sure. those people that have separated by the way i'm not trying to make you feel guilty <laughs> by saying that <laughs> but i just uh, i just want to also say from the child's point of view we're talking from the child's point of view is to be more mindful of that as well and not just think and i don't think people that separate do think that i think they see the impact of their children i think they know but yeah. i think it's almost people around us people friends mm. they don't want us to feel bad about our decisions so they'll say oh don't worry about it they'll be fine yes and 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 it is important for us to say we're not knocking anybody no. down who separates life <laughs> no. is life and, yeah. and you know sometimes that separation which in my parents situation from my point of view was the correct decision yes yes yeah but it didn't stop it from being impactful right. at the time that's what that's that's yeah. how we should summarize that but did it make you a bit more vulnerable do you think i think for sure because now instead of two parents eyes on the child in all situations you've got two two separated people who are hurting as well who are hurting, going through their own stuff who now are trying to look after children and are now need going to need outside care possibly yeah right yeah who, so you are in a more vulnerable situation yeah to, to because you know before you're a unit of two yeah looking after the child yeah. protecting the child and now you are not a unit of two yeah it, it two changes the dynamic it does change does it lead to self-abandonment for you as well at that point before anything else happens? Mm. Are you questioning whether you were good enough for them to stay together or did you not have that experience? I mean, I'm going to say I could have gone through various thought patterns, but due to being eight years old, yeah. I can't remember any of them. Which is, okay, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember. Now, if I sat down with a therapist, I'm sure we could unpick yeah. certain parts of my personality now that have been driven from that event. Yeah. Um, but at the time, thinking as the eight-year-old Jeremy, I can't really remember. It just wasn't very nice. Just not confusing. Yeah. What ha what happens here though? But they are they are a unit. Yeah. You know, that, that, now, yeah. I get I mean? that. It's like, like your house what suddenly changing. Yeah. 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 It's weird. Yeah. What do you mean that not living together anymore? So like then I was ended up spending some time at my mum's and some time at my dad's. So you're not grounded anymore. Not rooted. There's no. The stability is a bit unsettled, but, yeah. you know, my parents, look, my parents tried, they did everything that they could to try to make that stable, right? So we would have an arrangement like many people do now mm. coming from divorced mm. parents, which mm. I think is the majority, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And there was some stability there. Yeah. Um. So sometime at my mum, sometime at my dad's. Now, my dad was a doctor. Okay. So his life, his work life was very demanding. Yeah. I have to say at the surgery seeing patients late unexpectedly yeah have to be on call sometimes at night yeah so we needed somebody else in the house to help with childcare. okay now he knew a nurse from his hospital this was a male nurse from sri lanka where my family are from mm -hmm. around my dad's age mm -hmm. 
and he had recently come to the country. I, I'm guessing that actually, that is just something I, I'm not sure of. Yeah. But he he was from Sri Lanka mm-hmm. and my dad must have had some kind of connection with him. Yeah. You know, they were probably mates. Yeah. And as far as the story goes that I know, um, he needed some help with accommodation. And so he'd come and stay around ours now and again. Mm-hmm. Now, this is when things started. Yeah. So he must have been, in fact, I found out a bit more details recently. He was 35 years old at this point. Right, okay. I was eight years old. Right. So he's not a few years, he's he's just a few years younger than me. I'm 38. And so when I think about that, I think that's that's me, though. Like, how would you even start thinking about yeah, doing yeah. something to a yeah. young boy? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, kind of puts it in reality for me. It does. When you start putting yourself, time moves on and now you are that age. Yeah. That he would have yeah, done yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And quite interestingly, now I see children who are eight years old. Uh, doesn't that just that's blow your mind? That's a big thing. That's kind of, that could be a trigger. That's a, that is, a, that is a, I think it is my, one because of my you triggers. you realise, yeah. you realise yeah. how... Well, you were a baby. How childlike you are. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you're so not in control you of anything. You are just still a child and your body is so childlike. Yeah. Especially boys. I mean, some girls obviously develop quicker than yes. boys. But even boys, you know, into their puberty still look very small yeah. and boy-like, don't yeah. they? No shoulders. Yeah. No, there's, there's, no, there's no sexual nature no. there at all. No. So... He started coming round um, and staying round and helping out my dad, right? And that's when he started taking a liking to me. Now, how this evolved, I got no clue, mm. right? People ask me, well, what was the grooming process? What was his technique? What did he do? And I, I don't know because it crept up on me, right? All I know is the things we were doing. Yes, so the final is almost like in that in that process of him meeting me yeah to the most extreme sexual abuse situations that were going on yeah i know about that segment yeah you don't know the rest i don't know the rest and maybe because it was so subtle that you would never have picked up on it any well no one was picking up on it it's the sophisticated grooming process but yeah like, it's not always the obvious that you see in the movies or reading the papers not, i mean it's um reported mostly inaccurately in the yeah, media yeah yeah like, of course, the grooming process needs to be slow, steady, not not alarming, yeah, not hurtful, not painful, not shocking. Of course, yeah. it needs to be like that yeah. because he needs to get me to to the end stage. And also, it depends on what type of personality the person has. Because if you think about a more grandiose kind of narcissistic person, mm-hmm. looking back retrospectively, you might say, well, it was obvious, you know, they were pulling the wool over everyone's eyes. But... If someone's more introverted, yeah. more covert in their yeah. approach, more experienced in their yep. approach, they're, 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 it's not always detectable. And this is why we've got to look at the child sometimes and their behavior, not yes. the adults around them. Yes. Because if the child's behavior is changing, then we start to go, hang on, when when did that start to happen? Mm. Because it's not always obvious. Right. And I'm not sure about if I was changing during this process no. too. And I don't think anyone can give me the answer to that. No, because if they could, they would have been more aware of it right. at the time. And there was nothing alarming going on. I continued as that boy and he he then got me to the bits that I can remember, right? Yeah. I've got like 
I say I've got like eight video snippets in my head of the favorite things that he used to like to do with me. Yeah. But whatever he did do, whatever grooming process he implemented, which I'd love to find out one day, right? Because one of my things that I'd love to happen is to interview him and him not be able to lie. Oh my God, that's powerful. I'd love to be able to do that. Yeah. That would be, that would, that would give me so much rest. I get it. So I, I, I've, I've kind of had not major conversations with my dad, but tiny bits of conversation and I've wanted and with my mum mm. and she won't let me go any further mm. and my dad what couldn't I don't think he could bring himself to go further but I would love to do that because if I can understand yeah it really is part of the letting yeah. go yeah. so I, I do understand yeah. that I know that might 100%. be shocking to people that haven't been through it mm. but both of us have both yeah. of us feel the same it's like who's got all the valuable information the answers <laughs> it's the people that are doing exactly. it exactly yeah. exactly we can spend decades trying to piece this puzzle together they've got the puzzle and it's completed yeah yeah yeah. and and but the thing is again if they are narcissists they don't want to give that to you right that's their little bit of power so they probably would never give you the answers anyway of course um that's why i'd like to put him under a a lie detector he cannot lie that kind of situation you're curious Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I'd like to know what happens so that we can educate for the future. It's so important. Yeah. Because we're trying to prevent this crime from happening to future generations. Yeah. So he managed to get me to a stage where we were doing things completely naked and I wasn't questioning a thing. Yeah. Did you? How did you feel at the time? Were you Were you aware that you didn't like it or were you so conditioned by that point that you were just, it was just playtime? Now, the, the confusing thing for some of the listeners is going to be, I like some of it. Yeah. And it's the story that we hear again and again and again. And I'm so pleased you've said that because it's not easy to say out loud. So let's take things like the fondling, right? So when he's fondling me, he's giving me a a warm, tingly sensation downstairs. Yeah. yeah? Yeah. Now, I'm not of the age of puberty. I'm eight years old, right? So I'm I'm pretty sure I couldn't get an erection. Yeah. Um, But whatever he's doing down there is like a cuddle. Yeah. Yeah. And there are lots of, I mean, I don't. I read this somewhere before, so please don't quote me on this, but I believe there's thousands of nerve endings down there for a boy. 100%. So they can't not feel the pleasure. 100%. Yeah. And when you're eight years old in 1993, right? Different era back then. Yeah. There's no um, pants rule being taught in schools. Yes. Yeah. There's no body awareness lessons in schools. No, there isn't. There's nothing. There's no conversations anywhere. No. There's no YouTube or internet or films that are talking about any of these types of things no there's no podcast there's no podcast you can't listen you can't learn right, anywhere right now i know i was eight years old but you know eight years old eight year olds are now getting taught in schools yeah, about are, certain yeah. things yeah right so i had none of that yeah. so i couldn't determine that what i was involved in was something i needed to tell somebody about yeah yeah so we're going up to his room the room he was staying in the spare room or my room when my dad's at work or he's late home and and he probably is creating this as some kind of game yes i would imagine right and then he's probably saying to me let me do these things let's do these things again you're a special boy you let me do these things and he's making me feel warm and tingly yeah and we're all right it's just like is it is it for you at that point, like an extension of like bath time where you're in the water, it feels lovely on the skin, you're playing around. You know, yeah, I mean, I've never really described it like that, but it's that playful. It is. It yeah. is like if you can think 
back to those times in your childhood. Yeah. It was this playful thing, but also I thought he was cool. Right, so he was like a bit of a hero. Yeah, he's a bit like of an a cool, idol. Cool older boy. Now I, I, I thought he was an older boy. Now in all of these years since talking about this, I always thought he was twenty five. Oh, wow. But it was only two weeks ago that I found out he was thirty five. So he obviously looked younger, did he? He must have looked younger. Yeah. Or, but at eight, eight years old, you don't know. No, you can't tell the difference. You know what I mean? All I remember at that age is thinking that everyone was really old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he must have he, looked, He yeah. must have looked like an older cousin. Yeah, I bet he did. Yeah. And I thought he was cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now, things start to get darker when we start to think about the more um, uh, explicit things, right? Yeah. The harder stuff. Yeah. Right? So, we had the kissing that he taught me how to do. I'm not sure how I felt about that, but I always remember his beard scratching me. Yes, yeah, so you right? remember that. So, like, yeah. But yeah. I mean, he must have geared it up to me as like, you know, this is a special thing that we do. Yeah. Right? Now, the fondling, anything that I was receiving on my body was okay. Yeah. It's not painful, right? Yeah. It's not uncomfortable. Yeah. Right? And I've got no way of telling that this is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So we started with the oral sex. So when he would put my penis in his mouth, super warm. Yeah. 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 Super warm. Yeah. Not weird yet. It started to get weird when he started training me to do things to him. So now you're aware of this is not what I normally do. Not even that. This feels gross. Oh, it's horrible. Right. So, so you've just got that automatic. Ugh. And and that's really interesting, right? Because I've got no knowledge or tools or understanding to know that. You just but know something in my instinct. Yeah. As a human being. Yeah. So, so maybe we could say from from that that every child has got an instinct, right? This doesn't feel right. It's interesting, isn't it? Because that that does fit in with that kind of, and I'm, I'm saying it like this for the listeners that have never been sexually abused, mm. that may not really know many people that have, or if they do know people, they haven't spoken about it. My experience is different because it was my dad. Right. So I, I uh, knew that it was, uh, and I, I don't know if my instinct mm. was just like, dads definitely don't touch their daughters there. Mm. I don't know if I, because no one had told me that that was the case, but I just knew it. Right. Because it was different to how it had been before. Right. So that when there was that, again, he he was just my dad. And then it moved into my dad touching me in places and, and again, kissing tongues, mm. that mm. sort of thing. Mm. That's not, that that is different to mm. what happened before. And I don't like it. Right. I knew that very, 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 very straight away. Mm. But, for other people where it's a trusted person and not a family member, it, it, if we use that bath playtime thing, the child is naked uh, uh, up until maybe seven or eight, nine, ten years mm. old with parents around mm. seeing their naked body, that they're naked in the water and the water is moving over parts of their body that feel warm and mm. fuzzy. And if that adult that's doing those things to you at eight years old and you've got no concept, it's doing it in a way where it makes it feel like playful bath time. Yeah you could understand that the child has not yet made any connection to anything being wrong. But the instinct for you kicks in at the moment he's training you to do things to right. him. Immediate instinct. Immediate. Right. Feeling of gross, feeling of uncomfortable, feeling of, I don't want to do this. Yeah. But I'm hooked in that by, by that point. Yeah. Meaning... I'm just in the situation. Yeah. Right? And You're conditioned. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm programmed. Yeah. yeah. I'm programmed for this to be normal and this be just be part of it, you know. Uh, and I'm, also children self-abandon. They will abandon themselves 
to do what the adult tells them to right. do. Okay. That's that's yeah. it's not just that you're conditioned, it's that children generally won't say no to safe adults right. to Espe- trusted people. And especially if he is programming in this way. Correct. So you've got a double whammy there. Yeah. And it's then when I think, why in those moments didn't you tell anybody? You know, because it's gross, it's disgusting, it's uncomfortable. There's an alarm there somewhere. Uh, and you feel it, not just in your head. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I could feel that response. The body, t- yeah. the body is telling me. Um, but I didn't. No, neither did I. And that's the, that's the, I always say, just give context right here. Prefrontal cortex starts to fuse this part of your brain yeah. at seven. Right. It doesn't fully fuse. Generally till 21, can be 25, sometimes even a bit later. At eight years old, your brain has only just started fusion. So there's a lack of analysis. There's a lack of logic. There's a lack of uh, decision making. Mm -hmm. And there's a lack of um, emotional regulation. Right. So you don't have the tools yet to be able to piece it all together to know what to do. No one's taught you. If someone touches you here, you tell someone. If your brain isn't naturally analyzing, being logical and doing the decision-making bit yet because it can't, mm. remember the brain is like a photo that that, that gets developed. Mm. Not the ones you take on your phone that are instant, but the old school <laughs> ones mm. where you'd have to go to a dark room and you'd watch the photo develop like a Polaroid picture. Mm. And if it takes till... 21 let's say for it to be fully developed it means it's developing whilst Mm. it's developing it's learning and Mm. if someone's not teaching you you're not learning so although the alarm goes off you don't actually know what to do about it that's why children are so vulnerable to this right whereas an adult being sexually assaulted although it's horrific and wrong and disgusting and awful they have got the benefit of hindsight of wisdom of knowledge of analysis of decision making of logic that doesn't mean it's an easy decision to make and sometimes they never make that decision to say anything. But children don't even have that. Right. I think it's so important what you're saying to give your average person who's never even heard a conversation about this before. Yeah. Like everybody knows that it's going on, right? Behind closed doors. Yes. But many haven't like gone to any level with the conversation. I think what you're saying is just so important to give people an idea of how a child's brain works yeah. because you know it's so confusing for people why don't you say i know like and it's it's the question that i used to get asked all the time and i used to want to say this could you please just fuck off if it was that simple <laughs> i would have said something yeah of course we and now have. i can explain it of course yeah, and yeah now i can explain yeah. it and i've got that understanding that knowledge but at the time when people ask i was like <laughs> why would you ask me that question and even then i knew it was such a stupid question yeah. to ask. but equally yeah i don't mean to put anyone down that's ever asked that question but i know it comes from a place of just like how could this happen to you? Right. Why wouldn't you say? Right. But of course they're an adult when they're asking, or at least a <laughs> yeah, teenager, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. who, who might have a bit more complex thinking. And those kind of questions, which will always invoke some immediate reaction inside of yeah. me. I always remind myself that isn't actually that person's fault. No, it's not. It's just a lack of understanding. It really is, yeah. Because there's no conversation around this. Yes. Right. Especially not from the male perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, when I go and do these talks, and in particular in schools most recently, um, I did one last week to teachers. One of the ways I try to explain this, what this concept that we're talking about is um, the the concept of the grooming process and a child's brain and trying to put the audience back in that child's brain. I use the analogy of Father Christmas. Mm, Good one. Good one. So I say, 
And before I start this, I always say I've got nothing against the story of Father Christmas, right? I think it's truly magical. Yeah. Great part of childhood. I yeah. mean, we just had Christmas. It's great, right? Yeah. But look what happens. The story is of a man on a sleigh by led by flying reindeer delivering a present to every house all in one night like that story couldn't be further from reality <laughs> yeah. yeah but told year on year the children truly believe yeah it. they do they they, do. Tr- they think it's real they don't question it they don't question it right and then look what happens in the month of december you can start to control their behavior yeah through the story yeah. right if you do this if you don't do that Father Christmas won't come. Yeah. And they are on it. Yeah, they right? are. They trust everything you say. Absolutely. Especially their parents. Especially. Yeah. And you create this world around them that they think is normal. Yeah. Right. Now, we all remember Christmases, even whether you had the Father Christmas story in your childhood or not, you understand that concept. And yeah. then you can start to really understand using a relatable example, yeah. how malleable a child's brain yeah. is then you can start to understand a bit more about the grooming process. And most kids, unless they've got older brothers and sisters, don't really start to question Father Christmas until eight, nine. Right. And interestingly, when you tell the child that Father Christmas is not real, the belief is completely gone. Yes. There's there's nothing in between. And you can never regain that story again no. right? you can't tell them it's not real and then a year later start to tell them it's real and they believe it yeah, right yeah, so that's yeah. one of my big things about like when you tell children that, about the private areas they know yeah right so they can't get caught out by any story or grooming process yeah yeah yeah, yeah you're right told. it's a very good point and i always say that about the prefrontal i always say children believe in father christmas and fairies because they've got no way of analyzing the information right. but it also leaves them very vulnerable yeah, to absolutely. other people that are going to also put things yeah. into their head. Yeah. So that gives a real good bit of context yes. between the two of us yes. of, of why you you wouldn't have said anything. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean how long was it before you I mean obviously this became more and more mm. gratuitous and mm. um more and more damaging mm. over time. At, at what point did you feel like this is something I can't do anymore or did it stop because of him how did it come to its final end now I'm still investigating the story right and actually investigating the details has become very hard due to an incident a year and a half ago which I'll get to okay um, a bit later on in the story um but my current knowledge is that he got another job and moved away Right. So so actually you never got to that point where you said No. No. So it could have gone on for longer if he hadn't. I, I think away. it went on for two years. Right. On and off. Yeah. He was in and out of the house. Yeah. And then he'd gone. That must have been uh, I, I was gonna say devastating, but I, I don't, don't remember know. it. I don't remember it finishing. That's so interesting. I don't remember thinking, oh my god, that's finished. That's over. Where is he? I must have been so silent about it. And then I continued as the boy that I had always been because I'd never changed in that time. Yeah. So at eight years old, I'm pretty sure you're in year four. Yeah. So now I'm in year six, something like that, right? Yes, yes, It's around that. Yeah. And nobody's got a clue. No, no one's picking up on anything. Did you? Did your behaviour change at all in subtle ways that looking back you can see now or can you not remember? I mean, if we had long-term video footage, you know, maybe yeah. we could analyse it. Yeah. But like I've gone back to people who knew me back in those days. Yeah. Right now I've got a close 
group of friends, which I feel very fortunate about, which I actually met one year before the abuse was going on, right? right. At my new school, because my parents are separated. We moved town, mm-hmm. yeah? Mm-hmm. So um, I've known, I still know them, them boys now. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's so cool, isn't it? Yeah. And there's like 10 of us. Wow. So whenever we meet, we met for Christmas. There's like 10 people around the table. We always say how fortunate we are. That is so lucky, right. so fortunate. And some of those boys met at four. I met them at seven. They already had a little group formed. Oh, wow. Then we met some in year seven at secondary school and we're still together now. That's really cute. Now, I have spoke to the parents of those friends who've known me all of this time. Mm. And I say to them, now looking back at eight-year-old Jeremy, when I was around your house, when we had sleepovers and stuff, could you now see that I was showing any signs? And they all say, no, Jeremy. You were just very good at putting it all into a box our brains are so clever they are the subconscious mind 95 percent of our thinking so <sighs> what happens is a lot of stuff goes into the implicit storage area which is the cerebellum your hippocampus only retrieves explicit memories doesn't retrieve them all some of them you won't remember learning to walk for example right. you know you won't remember learning you i mean you might do but you won't remember learning to read necessarily yeah these are You'll great remember, points yeah so mm. your brain will just store stuff there mm. that doesn't seem see as necessary mm. to retrieve yeah amazing that's so great and it's uh, a protective mechanism as okay, well okay yeah and and that's that's a great point about the walking and the and, and the reading thing because yeah. that really again puts us back into those days and remembers reminds us how we were what yeah. nature we were at yeah that age. yeah you just put everything absolutely into and, certain boxes and that's what i did yeah then I move into my teenage years i'm now 13 14 having a great laugh at school it was the birth of jackass Right? Oh my you remember gosh! So I how can only massive that was! You, <laughs> you remember how big that was? Yeah, it was huge. It was ginormous. So all the boys are trying to replicate what they're yeah. doing and daring each other to do stuff. And I'm just having a good time. I got into sport, played sport heavily, started captaining sports teams at school. But also, I started doing really well at school. School so you work. Were performing really well. So you performing were not really a concern well. to on. anyone. No one was questioning anything about yeah. me. Yeah. Captain in the rugby team, the basketball team, the cricket team, getting top grades in school, being also very mischievous with yeah. my lads. Yeah. Right. So teachers weren't quite sure what box to put me in either. And like things were so good. So the, you were the exact opposite of what you would expect is what we're saying. Stereotypical. Yeah. Stereotypical thoughts from the general public of what happens to a child after sexual abuse. You don't fit any of that. Not really. Which is so important. Again, there's so many reasons why it's so important for you to be here today mm. and to do the work that mm. you do every day. But that, what you've just said there, is one of the most important it shocks people. Yeah. And it in particular shocks teachers when I speak to them. I bet it does. They're safe- all, I know. Right. They're always looking for something. Right. The safeguarding yeah. training yeah. is the stereotypical common science, it which is, we yeah. shouldn't ignore. No, we shouldn't. But every child reacts to everything completely differently. Look, no look, one's look, the same. Look at this as an example. Let's say you've got two parents that push you hard. Yeah. They only expect the top results from you. Otherwise, there's trouble. Yeah. You're going to get one child who's going to thrive in that environment. You're going to get one child who's going to resist that and rebel against it yeah. and go the complete other yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. I don't think sexual abuse is too dissimilar because for lots of people that come out and speak about it in their adult life, all the people around them are like, you're joking. Yeah, they had no idea. No idea. I mean, I did exhibit signs, but again, I don't think 
Signs in hindsight or signs of general young girl, teenager expressing themselves? See, when it came out, I was more like that. The the, the sort of more um, angry Mm. young girl. But Mm. before that, I think... I don't think there was always signs, actually. It's hard, isn't it? Because your, your timelines get a bit <laughs> yeah. skewed. I think there were so I don't think I was taking care of my personal hygiene. Right. But then a lot of kids go through that. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think it was until it came out that I started to express more. Right. But I was expressing the wrong ways because I wasn't being heard. Okay. So I, I put that down to not being heard. Yes, I was abused, but it was the not being heard bit by my mother who stayed with my mm. dad that created the biggest emotional dysregulation mm. in me yeah so you're probably right actually at the time you might just say well she's not really looking after herself but now they might pick up on that i don't know yeah it, it's like you say it's it's too granular this subject yes, yes. You, you can't just go well here we go here's yeah. here's what it looks like and if it doesn't look like that it might look like this or <laughs> yeah. this and there we go that, there's your answer it yeah. doesn't work like that there's a million sides to this. Yeah. You know, and something that I've been thinking about m- more recently is I must have been showing signs somewhere. Now, was it here? Was I more promiscuous than I would have been? Yeah, that's a good question because I know I certainly was, right. but, that, but that was in teenage years. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, was I, I felt like I was really confident with girls, right? Yeah. My first kiss, my first next thing, my ne- first next thing. Like I was, I was loving that. Yeah. I don't remember really feeling too nervous about that. Well, you, you kind of done knew, it before. Yeah. Yeah. So was that a sign? Not, not, not your sign that anybody would have been able to observe. Yeah. But just in general behaviour. Yeah. Was that a sign of the past, possibly, or maybe I was just that way inclined because I was a very confident um, young young man. Yeah. I really was. I think I was. Yeah. Obviously not a young man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just to be clear, there's not more news that I need to disclose. <laughs> no, I think I was a confident young person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, I think I, in fact, a little bit cocky. Yeah. Like someone might yeah. say, yeah. Yeah, I was a little bit bullshy and like, But was you know. that just a protector part? You know what I said to you off camera and I'll probably come mm. back to that where the powerful version of you comes forward to protect the victim. Mm, maybe. So you get this yeah. like mask of yeah. confidence, yeah. doing well at school, being popular, yeah. being a bit naughty, being a bit naughty in other ways. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be that could that, be that was the protector part. Something I like to say, which is me putting a narrative on it, is that I went through something so horrific and come out the other side. Yeah. And I feel I feel like I can achieve anything. Yeah. Like it's exactly a nice narrative that. to put yeah, on it, yeah. whether that be I true or not. But, you know. I think it is true. I think okay. if you come out of it, yeah. I think if there's it's personality, mm. it's having at least one adult that, that hears you and supports mm. you. At least when it could be a teacher, it could be a neighbour, it could be someone that supports you. I think it's having um a little bit of fire in your belly as well. Mm. Maybe there's a little bit of anger there or mm. maybe there's something, but it's a driver. Yeah. 100%. And I think it's also hitting rock bottom sometimes. Mm. I don't think you can avoid that for a lot of us. Right. Some people don't have to go there, but I certainly did. Yeah. Um. Again, it's so holistic. Right. Now, I don't think I'd hit any type of rock bottom by this point. Okay. In fact, I'm confident to say I hadn't. Yeah. Because I'd boxed this thing away. Yeah. And buried it deep it was implicit it was not explicit it okay. was hidden right it was it was um you know when like for example we've got this heater on in the background mm. 
Okay, we know it's there. Yeah. I don't know if the listeners will be able to hear it because it'll probably be wiped out of yeah. sound. But we know that white sound is there. Mm. But it's only when I've just pulled, pulled mm. it out now that you'll hear it. Okay. You probably weren't hearing it mm. before because it was just there. Oh, wow. And I'm wondering if that's what your implicit memory storage is like. Right, okay. So that's really interesting because then as I move through my teenage years and the Jimmy Savile case comes up. Yeah. I'm round a mate's house and somebody's got a film called The Sleepers On, which is an old school film about boys being abused in a boarding school. I've and seen this. I have yeah. to make some kind of weird excuse and get out. Of yeah, there. yeah. So right. the white noise is suddenly being oh, heard. Oh, someone's reminding me there's a white noise in yeah. the background. Yeah. Now I don't go home and think why I made that excuse to leave. I don't go home and think why is that Jim Savile case making me uncomfortable. It just is yeah. making me uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. So I feel. Can like, I ask you something? Yeah, Sorry to interject. No, please. Where did you feel uncomfortable in your body? Stomach, probably. Whereabouts in your stomach? Oh, I'm not sure. W- would it be um, low down, or would it be higher up towards your rib cage? I'd be guessing. So okay. I don't know. You just know it's in the centre of your body. And even even saying my stomach is a bit of a guess, but let's say I come across something really. Uh, triggering now where do I feel it I'm, next time I go through something like that I'm going to think about it yeah. and I'm going to write to you and let you know yeah, because I'm pretty do. sure depending on where I'm feeling it you've got you've got something a, to say Yeah. I, I only ever ask that question because again I like people to hear and know that when they feel something in their body it's their intuition and it's usually different parts of the body that will give you different ideas mm. of what, what it is you need to pay attention mm. to if it's your stomach, so low down is emotional processing, then higher up the solar plexus is self-esteem. It's the fire in the belly. It's mm. also to do with willpower. Higher up, if it rises into the chest, it starts to turn to a bit of a fight feeling. Right. A compression in your chest. Right. Your jaw might clench. Mm. And also, if your throat tightens up, it's to do with suppression of your voice. So interesting. So right. if you get trembly legs um, and it's lower down, it's often that you want to run. Mm. So I was just interested oh, wow. in where you would feel it. Next time I get triggered or get sent off balance by something, I'm going to take notice of that. Yeah, please. And, and see where that's affecting my yeah. body. It's really important to yeah. know, just so you know what your body's yeah. trying to tell you. So I was going through many of those more and more frequent. Now, let's say I'm mid-teens, late teens at mm. this point. Mm. But life's going so well, yeah. Mm. Just left school, great grades. Went to college, got good grades there too. Mm. All my mates weren't leaving my hometown. They were getting into trades, electricians, carpenters, plumbers and stuff. And there was no way I wanted to leave them. Mm. So I decided not to go to university. I decided to get an apprenticeship. I loved engineering. Yeah, because that's what you did. That's what I did. I loved the way things mechanically moved together. I loved like systems and procedures. And so I just started writing to all the companies near me that had that kind of scheme. I remember... and. This is showing my age a little bit. I remember I sent out like a hundred letters. Like you wouldn't send out letters today, would you? But you'd that is dedication. Email. Yeah, because I was so motivated. Yeah. I was so, I just felt like I could achieve anything. Mm. And and when I wanted something, I understood there were steps to get it, but you can get it. Like everything's yeah. achievable. Yeah. You just need to understand there's a process. Yeah. And if you want that thing at the end of the line, yeah. you've got to go through those steps. Yeah. And that's kind of like what I felt like. I only, you might have seen me pause there as you said that and look mm. up. And it was only because it made me think, were you running into the powerful version of yourself? Oh. 
maybe and i'll take that yeah me too because <laughs> like i get it 100 you know? percent. the power is so much more attractive than the pain right and i wondered if you were just leaning into yeah. it no, at all costs i yep. am going to lean into yep. my power yeah and therefore i do not have to look at that right. pain but also maybe it was through seeing my mum and my dad do the same so you had that good role right? modeling so they came over here with a suitcase from Sri Lanka, that, that story, yeah, right? Immigrants story. and built something. And, and so I would have witnessed that. Yes. You know, maybe also I had some good role model teachers. Yes. Yeah. Maybe I was following some sports people um, who were also showing me that. Really important. Right. And maybe all of these pieces of this, this like all these ingredients made this recipe for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got this apprenticeship in... Cambridge, a place called Marshall Aerospace. So this was an aircraft apprenticeship and it was, they put so much time and effort into their young people. I will never be able to show that company the true thanks that I have for them. Oh, that's so amazing. Cause you don't hear that very often. Oh anymore. my goodness. Like they dedicated like departments to their young people mm. and they trained you on the aircraft, fixing the aircraft. And then they would take you to be a designer so I was designing aircraft parts, systems, and structures. How cool. This Come is what, on. That's what I said at the beginning. Like, you had the coolest That's job. That's cool. That is so cool. And then Even I, I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I loved it because it was so technical. Yeah. Right? And it kept me motivated. Yeah. And actually, me and my friends laugh about it. It also, thankfully, stopped the party on Sunday. Yes. Right. So, <laughs> so yeah, the party starts Friday night, early twenties. It's got to end it somewhere. It's got to end somewhere. <laughs> so, whereas, like, if I had a job I didn't care about, who knows what would have happened? Very true. But this mate, Monday is work, and I and I love work, and I'm trying to progress at work, and that's what I did. I started progressing. I started working overseas for the company. Wow. So I was working in Dubai. Wow. Running some projects, and I'm like in my early twenties. That is amazing. <clears throat> and I was the youngest person the company had ever sent overseas. So I'm I'm like flying, pardon the pun. I'm flying, right? <laughs> <laughs> so 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 I'm doing really well career-wise. I'm having a great time at the weekends. Everything is going phenomenally well. Then at 25 years old, everything starts to change. Mm. I start recognizing that I'm having low bouts of sadness. Mm. which were unusual for me mm. upbeat guy i'm not like the the um the like highest person at the party like i'm not that outspoken right but i'm an upbeat guy yeah love hanging out with the lads love getting with the girls in the club like you know what i mean like yeah just, yeah you're the fun one that yeah, everyone gravitates yeah, yeah. towards <clears throat> but something had changed now interestingly i think that the final trigger was because I was working in Dubai, I'd seen somebody who looked like him. Yeah, that's a big one, isn't it? When you get that oh moment, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So you think over the like the the like years, the 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 14 year old first kiss, first this, first that, maybe subconsciously realizing that this is not the first time I've done yeah, this. Yeah. Then some years later, the Jimmy Savile thing, then yeah. the film, then maybe something else, then somebody cracks a joke about it or I watch a comedian who cracks a joke about yeah, it and yeah that's a big one you, do you know, you know what, what I'm I mean? so glad you said that <clears throat> that has always been a, a big trigger for me comedians I, I love comedians yep, by the way same. I love to laugh there's same. nothing better than that but when comedians <clears throat> tell jokes about 
paedophiles or sex mm. abuse, child sex abuse. I'm always a bit like, I know that, you know, I'm not trying to cancel anyone yeah. here, by the way. Yeah. Like, please do what you got to yeah. do because it's fair. And, yes. and everyone, everyone's triggered by something. Yes. But it is quite a big trick mm. when I hear people talk about, particularly Michael Jackson and making jokes. Yeah. I, I find it really, and controversially, I, I've struggled to believe that Michael Jackson did what he did. And I, oh, I'm okay. quite open about mm. saying that because there's lots of different reasons why, and that might get me cancelled. <laughs> but there's there, there's a there's a whole thing around that particular thing where I'm like, I just feel so uncomfortable. I'm not going to ever... Again, I would never cancel anyone for doing it or shout them out mm. or be horrible about mm. it. But I don't think people think about it when no. they say it. No. But I suppose that's the same when they're joking about disability or they're yeah. joking about religion or race yeah. or everything. Is that area of... You can't... You, you can't really stop it. It makes me feel uncomfortable, but it's their artistry. Yeah. And for some people, it's a real release. It is a real release. And if we can't laugh at stuff, as much as it's triggering, if we can't laugh at it, then life can become a bit too right. serious. Right. And they are expressing, I don't know, I don't like it. Yeah. Right. But I see its place. Of course. That's, we that's we do need, I'm and I'm for. glad that we're both on the same page yeah. with that because, because, there's too much of this just shutting everything down yeah. now and yeah. the world's getting a bit crazy on yeah. that. Do you not think? Yeah, I think so. And there's a comedian called Johnny Pelham who's been on like Live at the Apollo and things and he's got a whole set about his sexual abuse in childhood wow. and he actually got Channel 4 to do a documentary on him. Oh, wow. And he's got tens of thousands of people who get some release in seeing him make a joke about himself. Yeah, that's really powerful. Yeah, I think yeah. it is too. So yeah. each to their own with that. Yeah. But for me, it definitely was a trigger seeing people make jokes about yeah. it. And yeah, this thing about possibly of seeing someone who looked like him, um, l light skin, but from Sri Lankan background, right. stubble, kind of wavy hair, glasses. I'm pretty sure that was kind of the final straw. Yes. Now, I remember sitting in the hotel room thinking, accepting mm. that, yeah, this is actually what happened. So that was the first time yeah. you let it come 25. to the yeah. forefront. Yes. And then the next thought was, what the hell are we going to do about this? So it was that quick, yeah. the recognition and the acceptance yeah. and what am I going to do? Yeah. And the strategy was, well, you know what? It probably finished at 10 years old, 25 now, 15 years. We've been good all this time. Mm. So let's just continue pushing the memories away every time they come on strong mm. and like eventually they'll disappear. Mm. I tried it, obviously. Mm. Obviously that's that's not going to work. No. Memories come on stronger and stronger. They turn into flashbacks. They turn into night terrors. Yeah. Two years later, I finally surrender. Tell me about the, the flashback. I mean, I've had flashbacks and night terrors myself and talking in my sleep and stuff when mm. I was a bit younger, not so much now. In fact, never now. Um, but also flashbacks come in different forms. Some yeah. people have very visual flashbacks where they can actually, that they see what's happened there in front of them. Some people, it's more of a sort of a video playing in their mind, like you described yep. earlier, which is the sort of flashbacks I've had, especially if there's been intimate moments. Sometimes that's caught me out there where I've suddenly gone... Mm. And a, a, just the disgust washes across me, you know, all mm. sorts of flashbacks. So could you, would you be comfortable yeah. to explain some of yours? 
the biggest one is night terrors. Yeah. Right. So it's the same dream every time. Yeah. So I'm lying in my bed. He comes through the bedroom door. And every time he takes a step closer, I start shouting in my dream mm. because I know it's a dream. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm trying to wake myself up. Yeah. And then I wake myself up with a scream. God, it's awful, isn't it? But I'm so relieved it's a dream. Yeah. And it's a real intense thing. Now, they have reduced most recently, um, but they were a thing. Mm. And I'd say that's when I really knew mm. things had got really bad. Mm. You're not going to be able to handle this yourself. What's the next step? Mm-hmm. And where the next step come from? I got no clue because I wasn't following anybody that spoke about abuse on social media. Me and my mates would never talk about things like this. But I thought, you know what? You should tell one of your mates about what happened. That would be a good idea. It just felt so strong. It just, and, and I'm not a believer in God, but if I did believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I would, I would put a narrative on that as if like, that's a message to me. It was like an energetic it was like thrust from crazy. somewhere. Yeah light bulb moment where did that come from Mm. so i try it right now i try it a number of times yeah i'm in the pub with a mate i'm watching a film with a mate i'm just like in the car with a mate and i'm just like just tell them what happened just tell them and i just couldn't it took me so many times until Mm. i until i finally did Mm. and that must have been maybe i don't know maybe six months later i sat my mate down right so this is luke and he is a significant part in this story. And he is one of the boys that I met the year before the abuse started. Got you. At seven. So, so he'd known long, me long. all of this time. I'm now 27. So we'd actually known each other 20 years. And I said, mate, you are never going to believe what happened to me when I was younger. And honestly, like he could have guessed for days and had never got anywhere near the answer. So what was his reaction when you told him? The perfect reaction. He was confused. He was angry. He was saddened. He was disappointed. He was showing everything, but he didn't actually talk. He just gave me my space. I chatted about it and I chatted about it and I chatted about it and he listened to everything. And when we finished, he said, you know what? Thank you for trusting me with that information. And if you need any support from this moment on, I'm there for you. Done. I love Luke. <laughs> like, how do you know how to respond to that? Not many people know what Come to do. On. But he just knew what to do. He is probably one of the pivotal moments in this whole story. Yeah. Because I woke up the next morning and I was surprised with how good I felt. Yeah, that's powerful. And... I just remember it felt like this massive weight had been lifted off my shoulders. It, well, it was someone had given you a bit of safety at yeah. the time when you were revealing yeah. the most difficult thing ever. Yeah, and I, I voiced it for the first time. Mm. It's like now it's open, it's, it's out there. Mm. And I'd battled in all of those times I tried to say something to mates in the pub and watching a film, etc. I was battling with the embarrassment of it. Yeah. I was battling with the disgust of it. Yeah. I was battling with the what will they think. Yeah. I was battling with the this is going to change everything. I was also battling with the once I say something, I can't undo that. 
that's the scariest bit. Yeah. Is that you can never put it away right. again. That'd be it's white out. noise for a long time. <laughs> and suddenly this is a big loud siren. Yeah. And there's no way you can change that once you've said it. And even if you, d- I decided to tell Luke and no one else, every time me and Luke met, I would know he knew. And every time us boys met yeah. and somebody said something or, you know, said something in passing about this or that, Luke would know, I would know that actually that happened to me too. Yeah. So again, even if it wasn't a constant siren, it would be there yeah. loud and clear no matter what. Yeah. That was a brave decision, but you knew you needed to do it. Something inside of me knew that that was the next step. Otherwise, we were going to be in trouble. Yeah. God. And that encouraged me to start telling more of these mates. Mm. I then told another two we were out having a drink. Mm. I didn't plan that one. Mm. Just told them. And Mm. I said, look, Luke knows too. Then six months later, I tell another mate, then another mate, then another mate, then another mate, until all my close mates knew. Now, alongside this, I'm still progressing with my career, right? And I got a really nice um, vision because a senior engineer to me had recently left the company and I was at a company that you don't leave, you're trying to get into, right? So yeah. it surprised me. Now he said to me, once I wrote to him on LinkedIn, like, where the hell have you gone? <laughs> he said, I managed to get a job at McLaren Mercedes Formula One team. I've been selected to design parts on their cars. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Like, I didn't realize that was a pathway that was achievable for us. So he gave me the explanation. He said, the aerospace industry is like top tier engineering. Actually, space is top, it's higher, yeah, but yeah. you know, it's pretty up there. So if you can get really skillful in that industry, you can pretty much go anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So then I made that my mission to try to get there. Because I thought, imagine watching the Grand Prix on a Sunday (laughs) and cheering for the team and the car that you're part of. Like, that'd be a great thing to be involved in. That is pretty cool. That is so cool. Yeah, it really is. So I started working day and night trying to get towards this goal, right? Like researching at at night. Now, I then started moving from job to job. Mm. I then got a job at Jaguar Land Rover in Coventry. So moving on to cars. Mm. I then got a couple of contracts in a couple of other places. I then worked in Switzerland. And then I managed finally to get a job at McLaren designing their road cars, right? So I was selected to be on a limited edition vehicle that they were producing. It's called Speed Tower, only 107 made, sold up 2 million each. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. And all were sold before it was even designed. So it's like a collector's item for these yeah. people. So I selected to design the carbon fiber parts, hybrid system and the crash structure. Now, this was the big move because I'd be working with cream of the crop engineers there. Mm. I could learn so much. Mm. It's McLaren. They've yeah. also got a Formula One team. Yeah. So it just felt like one step away. Yeah. Right. So I was at the pinnacle of my career at this point, right? Yeah. I'm now 32 years old. Yeah. I've now been speaking about my story of abuse from 27 Mm. to close friends. I then spread to their girlfriends and their wives. I then spoke to the parents of the friends that knew me back in those days. So you can see. The community. I'm evolving this story. Yeah. And with every single time I spoke, I grew in confidence. And the fear of saying it to the new people was starting to dissolve mm. until it became something that I talk about passionately, encouraging with strength and with courage. Mm. That's where you see the yes, ingredients. Yes, it's of where we started the podcast. Yeah. yeah. So I'm doing all of this now. 
once I'd spoken to all my close, all of these people and having the second conversations with these people and the third conversations with these people, I started getting curious about what's going on out there. Mm. So I got online, Facebook groups, websites, chat rooms, thousands upon thousands of people telling their story. I literally couldn't believe it. I literally couldn't believe it. Because now you're not alone. Right. Now it's not just you right. telling your little community. There's a whole community of people also speaking about their experience. And it's so common. It's so, so common. People often ask me statistics on this, but I often say don't focus on the, uh, the statistics because and the reason for this is because they're not correct mm -hmm. anyway. Mm -hmm. So whatever the statistics are, one in four or whatever mm -hmm. it is at the minute, forget about that yeah. because there's so many more. Yeah, it's such a good point. Yeah. Because there's more people who haven't said anything then have. Of course. I think it's 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 almost unfortunately quite normal. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a sad situation mm. that we're in. Mm. And I don't mean by the way, I don't mean sexual abuse in children. I just mean the abuse of the the body in general. Right. Yeah. As well as sexual abuse yes. in children. Yes. Cuz I don't want to minimize you know girls that are or, and boys sorry mm. that have experienced sexual abuse a bit later. Mm -mm. That they go well I was I was and I've heard this. Mm. I was 18. I was out, I was at, you know, I was wearing this, I was doing that. And I'm like, but if someone's touched you in a way that's inappropriate, which has happened to me, by the way, um, and, and, and I've only recently spoken, I've said this on a couple of podcasts now, about a time when I was 17, I was raped by two men. I didn't even compute I was raped hmm. because at that point I'd been sexually abused by my dad. Yeah. I'd been raped at 13 by a 20 year old. So when I was 17 and I was raped by two men and it was a violent rape, like, hmm. but my brain just went, fine right so i i only say that because i know that the older we get the more we get i'm going to tell you why by the way that i i didn't compute that when i um told about my dad and my dad went to prison people at school and people in the street would literally shout abuse at me telling me i enjoyed having sex with my dad wow. saying i stank of sex i was a slag i was fat i was this so i was actually really badly bullied because of it wow. by a group of particular people not by everybody okay. there's a lot of very kind people mm. as well but also all the adults in my around my mum and dad protected my dad it was all about protecting my dad i was mm. going to say his name then i don't think i've ever <laughs> said his name publicly but it was all about protecting my dad and mm. their children were encouraged to look at my dad in that way as mm. well so i was the narrative around me was ella's the problem child mm. ella's ella should never have said anything we should have kept this within the family ella's loud and, and brash and, and all of this so when i was raped at 13 by a 20 year old my assumption would be Ella's the problem. Right. So we won't say anything. It's no big deal. I'm used to being, and, and I didn't have this conscious thought, but I think my system went, you used to being abused. It's fine. Mm. Carry on. 17, violent rape in a park. I walk home from a club with a man. There was no intention for me to have sex with him in my mind. Mm. Um, we walk in through a park. There's a phone box before mobile phones. You <laughs> see, he was going to call a taxi, drop me off first and then go off and, and get his, go to home. But he actually called a friend. The friend turned up. They violently raped me. I'm 17. They then drive off and I'm left on my own. Wow. Again, my body knows that this is wrong. But my thought process is, but you're a bit, this is what happens to you. And you're the problem. People already think you're promiscuous. People already think you're a problem. People already bullied you over this. They're going to say it's you. They're mm. going to say, this is you again, Ella. You mm. can't hold down a job. You're self-harming, you're drinking too much, but it's your fault. And I just felt so strongly that was what was going to come out of their mouths. So I just went, okay, and cracked on with it. A bit like um, 
what you were saying and what I did when I was sexually abused, you just carry on. Mm. And if you've been, this is the issue and it's another a sub-issue of sexual abuse. If you've disassociated and desensitized yourself and you've gone to school um, a night after you've been quite horrifically abused, you have the ability to do that when it happens later on and when it happens again. You have the ability to shut that down mm. and carry on without anybody picking up any yeah. signs. Yeah. So this is why I say I know that the incidence of sexual abuse are higher mm. than the statistics show. And I know that some people don't consider what they've experienced to be sexual abuse because of other conditioning that they've experienced as well. And I get lots of messages and people will start it saying, what I went through wasn't as bad as what you went through. Yeah. Oh, how many people say that? Lots of people. I get it. All the Lots time, I say this again and again and again. I'm so pleased to hear someone There's else no say comparison. that. There's no comparison. We're not trying to set this on levels. No, it's definitely not the competition that anyone wants to win. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, That's let's not sure. try that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's it's traumatic and horrific and should have never have happened. And each person's brain will adapt to it differently. Right, right. So someone could consider it to be um, a bigger or a smaller trauma, mm -hmm. but the person's um, personality type, you know, epigenetics, mm. that their experience of life already determines how well they'll cope right. with what they've been through. Yeah. You might cope really, really well with what yep. you've been through. Somebody else might not. Yeah. And I say this a lot because I say actually a large part of what I'm doing is for the people that don't get as fortunate yeah. of a reaction yeah. as I did. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I hear that loud and clear. Yeah. If we can, we should. Yeah, because absolutely. Because that work is so important. I think being seen and being heard um, and feeling like someone gets you yeah. and cares yeah. is the most healing thing you can receive. Right. And if one person comes across you yeah. or me or the many people that are in your community mm. on your mm. platform and go, I feel so mm. seen, then that's... That's everything. It's just worth it. Yeah. Even though we're putting ourselves out there, we're putting ourselves online. This is a roller coaster ride of emotions and challenges. Mm. It's worth it for that reason. It is, yeah. And so worth it that <laughs> the story continues yeah. with your McL McLaren journey. Yeah, okay. So that feeds nicely into the fact that I had then started researching online. I'd spoken to all these people. I'm 32 years old by this point. I've been doing this kind of work for five years and I come across a story from an 80 year old woman right and she says that she comes from an era where you could not speak about this even if you wanted to yeah it wouldn't be received it wouldn't be heard it wouldn't be listened to yeah and she explained that that suppression of her story had hindered her in so many different ways throughout her life and when I read that I thought that is so sad yeah i can't believe it i've read it five six seven times and i thought hang on a minute i come from an era where you can speak about this we have social media we're progressing in this conversation yeah we are it's more listened to it's mm. more believed mm. these days it definitely is 100 percent compared to what she would have gone through. yeah yeah and i thought you know what i should probably try and do something about this now, you think I've had this huge journey up until this point. It's not like I started getting the memories and I thought this the next day, right? We've we've been we've been on a journey with this story yeah, yeah. to come to that kind of 
thought process that yeah. I could probably try and do something about yeah. this. Now, very coincidentally, two weeks before this, I'd been to an open mic night. Right, it was the first open mic night I'd ever been to. You went to an open mic Sp- night. Spoken word open mic oh, night. Oh wow, that's like, really It was cool. so cool. I was staying in London at the time, and I was just like, "This is a cool city." Never stayed in London before, and there's all these things going on. I should go and get involved. And I saw that this event was great because it's open to the public. Yeah. Anybody can come and sign up. They can read their poem. They can sing, play an instrument, do whatever they like. Comedy, dance. I thought it was such a great environment. I love creative it was, spaces. Oh, so cool. So welcoming, you know, so yeah. encouraging. And I thought I could go as a storyteller and start telling my story to live audiences around London. Oh, my God. That would be a good idea. <laughs> that is insane, but also very magical. It was a real, it was like another one of these light bulb moments. But at this time, I had an email in my inbox from Red Bull Racing. Oh my God. I can't believe it, can you? No. Saying that I'm going to be considered to be on their design team. And they'd like to see me. So. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, right. so you've got two lives in one yeah. space. And they've met. I've been working towards this Formula One dream for five years, but I've been talking about my story for five years and researching it for five years too. So you're invested. So it has come to a crossroad. Now I take the interview I'd usually be preparing 24-7 for an interview like this. Mm. I didn't do no prep. I just didn't care about it anymore. Something had changed. Something had changed. Went to the interview, completely wasted their time. I'd like to say sorry to them and to all the other candidates that didn't <laughs> get that spot. <laughs> this feels like a reverse Oscar speech. <laughs> and needless to say, I didn't get a job, but I honestly didn't care. Oh my God. I then quit my job at McLaren because I decided that I wanted to commit fully to this idea of taking this story public. Wow. I gave my flat back to the landlord. I was working up in Sheffield at that time. I packed everything that I needed into my car and I hit the road. With nowhere to go? With nowhere to go. This is like a film. Now, (laughs) Now, obviously... I now need to start telling more people about what happened. But before I did that, I had something to address. When I say more people, obviously I've quit my job. I've got nowhere to live. Probably my family are going to start asking me what the hell is going on because at this moment they don't know. Of course. It's just friends that know. Yes. Girlfriends, wives. Yes. Parents. Yes. Right? That's all that know. So I'm now, lots is going on in my life. I've quit my job. I've turned down this dream of Formula One. I'm ready to take my story public, but I needed to move the story on a little bit Mm. because in all the conversations I've been having with my mates over the years, there were always two questions that kept coming up. Number one, where was the man that did this to me now? Yeah, yeah. Number two, was he still doing it to my children? Yeah, big question, yeah. I hated the questions, spoke with my mates about it because I knew what it meant. I felt like I needed to go and find out. Yeah. So I started researching online. I had his name. Found his Facebook profile. Pictures of him, his wife, his two daughters. 
Oh my God. Smiling at Christmases, smiling on holidays. How did you feel? Oh my goodness. What a big question to ask, actually. It's probably too big. No, there's no question that's too big. Heart racing. I can't believe it. I can't believe that's his face. Yeah. He looked exactly the same. God. It's like he hadn't changed. Yeah. I'm panicking. Yeah. But I'm staring at this picture knowing I've just got to keep staring at it. Yeah. So I decided to write him a message. You had stepped into your power and beyond at that point. So in response to what you just said there, I must have felt so powerful because yeah. otherwise this is this is a lot. Yeah. This is a lot, yeah. Yeah. You always had that power, by the way. Like, yeah, through, that you survived yeah, it all, yeah. Yeah, throughout. But, but you really stepped into right. it. So I said to him, I know you remember who I am. We've got a lot to talk about, about all those things that happened 20 years ago. So you need to come and meet me, a place of your choice, coffee shop, park, I'll come to wherever you want, but you are to come and meet me. And if I don't hear back from you in 24 hours, I'm gonna have no choice but to go to the police. What a message. What was the response? I come back to my computer two hours later and he blocked me. Oh my God. Well, I don't know why I'm surprised because obviously that's what I would expect. But just for you, for you. Oh my God, how did I take that? I mean... Did that enrage you? Yeah, that's anger. That's fury. And actually, I say this for the days in the years to come where I'm allowed to tell you more of that story, but there's a lot more to that message exchange. But just for now due to yeah. what I'm allowed to say and yes, what I'm not allowed yes, to say. Sure, that's sure. how the story goes. But that's a summary of the story. But there's there's more to it. But, but you um, can't legally I can't, say. And I hope one day I will be able to, maybe with him when I interview <laughs> yeah. him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I report the crime to the police. You did go ahead and say yeah. what you were going to do. Good. They took my details, asked me to come to the station. I gave my statement three hours Oh, people don't realise this stuff is arduous. When you give a statement about this, they go over and over and over and over and over. They have to get it 100%, if not 200% right. They need every little bit of detail you can ever think of. And it is quite, I mean, I did it when I was a kid, but I remember it just being like, oh, can we not stop now? Like, There's so much detail. When did you do it? I was 11. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I think it was four hours. Oh obviously, they God. take a bit longer with children. But it was before the days of um, they came to the to the house. Okay. So it was the day that I, the day someone took a diary out of my hand at school and it it went around because it was in my diary. Okay. Actually, I was giving it to someone to read a friend, mm. and then someone snatched it off of them. Mm. Another boy, I can remember his name. Wow. I won't say it to embarrass him. But basically, the oh um, my goodness, diary went terrible. around the school. Yeah, and I ran into the the toilets. Anyway, it was never my intention that my dad would get arrested. Mm-mm. I just wanted someone to know a bit mm. like you. You know that beginning of telling someone. Uh, it was the most horrific feeling. I'll never. That was probably the one of the worst feelings. The sense of responsibility of like, now my dad's going to be arrested, and my mum's going to hate me, and my brother and sister are going to hate me and my world is over I don't even know if I've got a home you know I'm thinking all of that anyway it takes hours because they've got to arrest my dad 
which I felt so guilty about. I didn't want him to be arrested. You know, it was still my dad at the end. Of it. it was a very difficult, I can't even really put it into words. Yeah. But then it was hours and hours and hours of police statements. How did it feel to be questioned like that at 11 years old? It was awful because <clears throat> I wanted to say, oh, can we just forget about this now, please? I don't want this anymore. I, it was never, this was supposed to be a friend of mine that read this. Mm. But I didn't say that. Mm. But I wanted to say that. Mm. But I had to go through with something that I hadn't really fully chosen. I wow. just needed to, I always say it's like a, pressure cooker i just needed to let some of the pressure out by telling someone wow. and actually what happened was it was taken out of my hands okay. so then to sit there for four hours and go through every detail and some of the detail is not stuff that a 11 year old girl feels comfortable to repeat right. but you have to mm. you have to say it like mm. you say they need every detail yeah. because we're also coming from an era where there's no evidence Absolutely, like there's yeah. no photograph, there's no e yeah. there's no text message, yeah. there's no re record of any interaction. Correct. So you would have had that exact same <clears throat> yeah. problem because you're going historical. Yes. yes. So the, uh, there was a journal. That was the only bit of evidence. Yeah. You know, a child is not going to write something like that in a journal yeah. if it's not true. But other yeah. than that. And then I had to have a physical examination. Wow. So that was quite horrible. I don't know how much I can say on this, but actually I'm going to say it because it's, a, it's something that's come up again. Um, because it was 30... Four years ago, um, a journalist was working with me on this story. They wanted to put it out. Okay. I mean, I've written a book about it and it's been very publicly spoken mm. about. Um, but hopefully someone from the police service or the um, court service can help if they do hear this. I, they, they, the PA Media, who were going to put it out, who are the biggest global PA... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Media subsidiary or distribution yeah. sorry yeah um and all the other big names like the daily mail daily mirror they all get their okay. stuff from there so this was going to be a big um article and they can find no evidence of my dad ever being arrested imprisoned wow. i can tell you the prisons that he went to i can tell you the dates i can tell you the age that i was i give you all of his details but because it was They've they've had um do you know Mosovo the police service they're no. like the sexual crime sub, um subsidiary of the police service. They're pla they've had so many different databases since thirty four years ago. Oh my goodness! And the Sex Offenders Act didn't come out until afterwards. I've all I have, and I, I'm only saying this publicly because a journalist has contacted me again today because somebody else wants to cover it. I only have a court reference number, but. They've got. They've even gone through written notepads because it was ha some of it was handwritten, and there's no sign of it. Now, the reason I say this is because, um, obviously, if my dad has seen anything online about what I've been speaking about, which is quite possible, um, he's never contested anything I've said for a reason, mm. and that reason is because he doesn't want to bring that mm. to himself, and I don't really want that. Mm. Yeah, so I, I've got to be careful. I never say his name. Um, Oh, oh, that's not the point of me speaking out. It's not to punish him. Right. It's to do exactly what yes. you were talking about. Um, but the point being is he could walk into a school and volunteer as a reader to... And he wouldn't do this, by yes. the way. I've got to be very clear. My dad isn't someone that goes out and abuses lots of children. Right. But, or hasn't done that to my knowledge, yeah. to be clear. But he could go and do a job yeah. working with children yeah. because there's no record. And um, it's it's a... 
you talk about the historical element there of giving statements and the, the lack of evidence. There is also a lack of data on people that far away. Right. So if there are any police officers or anyone listening to this, please get in touch with me because I, I do actually, the, the reason I say it is PA Media, their legal team couldn't, they wanted, they desperately wanted to run the story to the point where the journalist said to me, I'll go to their house huh. and I'll tell him I'm running this story. And, and I was like, no, I don't want you to turn up. Can you imagine if he opens the door, there's a flipping journalist on his doorstep saying, can we talk about what you did to your daughter all those years ago? So I said, no, no, please don't do that. And I, I put a stop to it. But if we could do it without him having to be confronted, mm. because it would be done delicately and yes. tastefully. But yeah, it, it, it goes to show that if it's historical, it isn't straightforward. It's not. No. And And what can they do if there's no... If there's no true evidence, they can't really take it anywhere. The problem is he went to prison. He went to two prisons. I won't say what because mm. I don't want to say too much. I don't know how much legally I can say. He went to two prisons, one where he was held in remand and one where he was sentenced and stayed there. He was obviously seen through the um, main courts, not the magistrates, for mm. that type of crime. Mm. He was arrested. Wow. Where's And there would be medical records, surely. The school I went to was knocked down and there's houses there now. So we can't even go to the school right. to look for that. Um, GP records. I, I don't know my NHS number. I'm still trying to get on that because there will be. But the journalist even says to me, can you remember where you went for your internal examination? I'm like, no. I have no idea where it went. I remember it was a woman that did it. And that's and I do remember the gloves as well because mm. they're the sort of things a kid mm. remembers. They don't remember the address. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, I know that there's stuff that, you should be able to find but no one can find it do you know what these systems and these procedures i know for these moments we're talking about the the old ones yeah right but i i'm gonna guess that the current ones are still oh, yeah not right archaic yeah archaic. i think they are uh, archaic yeah, yeah. I, I think there's so many loopholes i mean it's even worse if, before those you know the sex offenders act i think it must have been five five years later mm. that came to fruition okay because i remember feeling scared that oh, my dad's name will be on there and everybody, will know, they already all knew. But I just remember being a bit fearful. Like, I felt quite protective mm. that he didn't get beaten up in the street and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but um, yeah, so that's that's the whole thing. Yeah, and when I was being interviewed, there was one officer there. Only one? And he couldn't stop apologising. Yeah. Because he said after recent government funding cuts, they don't have enough money to have two officers in there anymore one taking care of the person's well-being and the other one asking the questions oh my god so we are still we're still going backwards we're, we're in the stone ages government you see they don't seem to think it's a, a priority the police were fantastic yeah of course you know and i, I just want to shout out the police that were involved in in my experience. Yeah. You know, they kept me updated. They did everything they can in my true belief. Yeah. It was just because of a lack of funding that they couldn't take my case to court. Unbelievable. Because they can only take a certain percentage of what they've got on the table that year yeah. to court. The strongest ones. Yeah. Right? Mine, mine didn't make the cut. Oh my God, that's devastating. What's devastating about it is that I wanted my parents to never find out about what happened. And they like, had to... what good is going to come from that? Yeah. Yeah? During that police process, because there was not enough evidence from what I could give, they needed to know things like how often was he round, how did he get round, 
the only person that knows the answer to questions are my dad. Oh, no. And once that police investigation got called off, I thought, what a waste. Yeah, what a... F- like, you had to go through you know? so much. <clears throat> my parents now know. Yeah. Their lives are now ripped apart. Because there must be so... I mean... They blame a, each other. Oh, they blame... God. Sorry, they don't blame each they other. They blame themselves. They blame themselves. Yeah. Of course, think about my dad. Yeah. Now, my dad ain't around anymore. Oh, no. Died February 2022. Spiraled out of control. Because of this, do you think? Couldn't handle it. That's horrendous. He had his own troubles anyway. But this one pushed Are you saying he took his... He didn't take his own life. But his body had had, had too he much. He had a heart attack whilst eating dinner. Oh, my God. He walked around with his head down. He couldn't see joy in anything anymore. Oh, no. He felt like the whole thing was his fault. And all of that when they didn't even take it to court. So there was no, ju- he couldn't even see justice yeah. be done. What a shame. That's so sad. Now, when we tidied up his room, there was a photo of this man in his bedside table. So Eddie- All I could think of, because we only spoke about it twice, mm. the day I told him mm. and the day he gave his statement. Mm. All I can think of is he had to release his emotion somehow yeah and i know he was not sleeping and, and so he'd look he at it there, i reckon but i'll never know but remember when you described how you looked at that photo when yeah, on facebook yeah. just like i have to keep yeah. looking at this photo yeah yes it must have yes. been the same if you know i have to yeah. keep looking and at I've it. i've never got... made that connection yeah, yeah it, it probably yeah. was the same he's probably trying to work something yeah. out now obviously we you know we're we're many years some years later now and i'm all over social media so and i'm online and doing things like this so he would have found out anyway eventually but yeah it just is a very very sad very sad for you as well the whole thing's so sad i remember i was in i remember where i was i was in like a high street and when i got the phone from the police i felt like i felt lost let down by the system yeah which so many people will go through. I don't think I did feel let down though. Really? I feel like I was on a pursuit to get him put on the sex offenders register yeah. at the very least. Yes. So that we can monitor what he was doing online and what job he's doing and what access he has to other children. Yeah. And I couldn't do that. Yeah, that's a really good point. You and can even do that. It's all good about the conversation about justice and revenge and peace. And it's all there, right? And being able to let go of it when you get a secured prosecution, that's all there. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to say like that wasn't any part of that journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the bigger part was, is he still doing it to more children? To try and protect others. Because if I wasn't the first, I needed all those other people who he touched to come forward and stop him before he got to me. Yeah. So I need to do the same yeah, to any other else. children. Yeah. And that's the responsibility that I still hold today. I mean, I'm not often speechless, but there's a lot tied into your 
you know, your your movement. It's not yeah. just about having a safe space for other people to yeah. join you and, and find that hope and that strength and that courage. But it's also about trying to stop this man from doing what he's doing. And all the other All offenders. the others, yeah. Like, we have to do something about this. We do. And that, that opens up... Um, Another conversation that we had off camera earlier, both of us are of the same thought process here about, um, I know this is difficult for you because people have been quite, you've had mixed reactions to this, but I, I really want to say this as well. When I've spoken about my own experience and people have asked me if I forgive my dad, I've always said yes and I've explained why. And I use the principles of IFS psychotherapy and I talk about how all of us have different parts. Some are good, some are bad, some are exiles. So they're like vulnerability, guilt and shame. Some are more angry, some are more controlling. And essentially when a person is sexually abused, particularly a boy, a particular at a certain time in their life, um, their testosterone is forming, puberty is forming, and if their sense of masculinity or power is taking away at that point psychologically and in terms of brain structure, that's very damaging, and they might unconsciously develop a protector part, which is the predator, because if they can put on the cloak of predator, they're no longer the victim. Right. So there are some people that have been sexually abused, mainly men that do that, mm. but some women also, and there are that th they become abusers but there are also people that are, are attracted to children right. sexually attracted to children there are also psychopaths and there's so many different variants of sex offenders and so as such a wide spectrum that if we just go right string them up lock yep. lock them away we're never actually going to resolve right. this problem we we have to understand this is extremely controversial what i'm about to say and I, probably another moment where i could get cancelled <laughs> but i'm willing to say it <laughs> If you think about primitive man mm. and the way that we were thousands of years ago, mm. we would die around 35, sometimes 40, if we were lucky. Um, the way that we look at procreation and those sorts of things is that if we were dying at, say, 35, that means that when we were having babies, we were a lot, lot younger. So there's a, a, a theory that says that men are hardwired to be attracted to the developing female child right. so so that he knows that she's ready to be impregnated right so that procreation happens and and all of that so with that in mind i think it's really difficult this subject to talk about but i think some people are still um less developed socially i know we've evolved and I know most men and women have evolved and we don't find children attractive and that's a natural thing. I certainly don't find children attractive. It's natural for me to not find children attractive. But I think if if we could look at it almost like there's a potential, I've got no evidence to prove this right now, but I know there's lots of research papers on it that some people are sort of stuck in a throwback and they are still attracted to children. If they haven't been abused themselves, that could explain that that theory. And obviously, someone might say, "Well, what if what if it's a boy?" Well, that then becomes more of a power thing as yeah. well. And there's lots of different things involved in that. Again, yeah. too many pieces to to discuss in one episode. What's your thoughts on that? My thoughts are areas of this topic that you've just explained there, and I think it was a great explanation, and many other areas along those lines. Yeah, right. What in someone's life drives them to sexually abuse a child yeah. is a conversation that I am 
disgusted that we're not having. Yeah, me too. Because because people think they're sh- people think they're doing the right thing by shutting it down. People think, well, why are you talking about that? Who cares why they do it? Who cares why they do it? I do because I was one of those kids that was sexually abused. Right. You were one of those kids that was sexually yeah. abused, and we don't want that to happen to other children. Right. So if we don't get in at the root level, right. how the hell are we going to change it? You said something about. You've posted something like this before on your social media and, and you get the gun emoji thing. Yeah. Tell me, explain that for the listeners. So I brought a couple of people onto my podcast to discuss what we're going to do with the people who know they've got an attraction to children who have accepted that that's in their head mm. and they would come forward for help if it was if available. If it was available, yeah. That's not everyone. No. But that's at least 1% of the yeah. people that yeah. have a sexual attraction yeah. towards children, right? Yeah. So, also the conversation of what are we going to do once the offender has served their prison sentence and are released back into our community? Mm-hmm. Those two conversations are very important to prevent the offence from happening in the first place or again. Yes. And that's what we're after. Yeah. And if we can't talk about it, how are we going to achieve it? Yeah. What is not productive is this celebration we have every time we lock a paedophile up. Yeah. As if we've achieved something. (laughs) Yeah. We haven't achieved anything. No, we haven't. We're late. Yeah, we're too late. The crime has already been committed. The child has been hurt. Where were we in all the stages before it got yes. to that point? Yes. Now, I've heard because I reviewed a documentary on my YouTube channel, which is very interesting, that there's only three therapy centers in the world, in the world for offenders. Sorry, not off- offenders, yeah? Yeah. But also people who would rather go and... Rehabilitate. Right. Yeah. Now, rehabilitate is a word that people get furious about. Yeah, they do. You can't mend these people... I don't care whether you can mend them or not. That's not my conversation. Yeah. Right. My conversation is how are we going to get them to resist the temptation of doing it? You could probably never take it away fully. I don't think you ever could. No. And there's a big conversation which I've posed on my social media a number of times and got lots of kickback, which I lose sleep over. Like it's really hurtful when I feel misunderstood, right? Yeah, of course. paedophilia which is a diagnosis right yeah um is it in the brain from birth or is it something in someone's life that makes them that way this is this is the most important conversation it is because we're trying to prevent it from happening in the first place yeah so you get so much anger from the general public uh, but my anger is that the crime is continuing it's in my guess would be it's increasing yeah and if we don't get a hold on this then we are failing the younger generations. And putting gun emojis in the comment section is so unproductive because we don't give the death sentence for any crime in this country. So unless you're going to go out there and campaign for it, don't give that response. It's not productive, right? Let's find out the next solution that we have. Now, I know in Florida, I've got sent some videos. They've got a new law where if you rape a child under 12, you get the death sentence. I'm all for these evolving laws. Yeah. Right? And and let's have a conversation about them. Yeah. But let's do what we can right now and let's move forward. I've had the director of a charity called Lucy Faithful Foundation onto my podcast and he said, 
that they opened an anonymous phone line for anyone who's worried about what they're watching online to come forward. In the first year, they received 7,000 calls from men worried wow. about what they've got in their head. Wow. And if you think about those 7,000 that actually dialed that number, how many didn't? Yeah. And this is the point, isn't it? It's what I was saying about the hardwiring, you know, about the primitive hardwiring and then the more um, sort of environmental problems that they might have experienced yep. you know the, the sort of societal issues did pornography take them down a rabbit hole exactly those sorts of conversations have to be had right and the gun emoji thing i know what people are trying to do this like, oh, i hate it and they're expressing themselves mm. but the point being is here you are jeremy having had this lived experience mm. having gone on a massive journey that's still not complete mm. from what you've said mm. wanting to do something from so many different angles here like looking you're not just looking at it from the survivor's angle right. you're looking at it from the perpetrator's angle as right. well which is rare and i've never met anyone i feel mm. like there's a mirror image going on mm. right now who feels as passionately as it as i do as i can't even get that sentence out <laughs> as passionately as i do about it yes because i think because it was my dad i always thought it was because it was my dad i want i've always had a level of empathy that i think is difficult to describe because you've got two people, you've got your dad and you've got the abuser in the same body. And I wish that I, I didn't have that experience of sexual abuse with him because I'd love to have a dad mm. and I'd love to have a mum. I don't have either because mm. they're together and they're, they, they're wow. not my parents. But I haven't got that. But I, I want to do something positive with that yeah. experience. And I know you do mm. because as a psychotherapist, you can imagine how many people I see that have gone through that similar trauma right. that we have. And... I'm one person, yeah. but when you can be one person with a, a wide reach, it it can change. It can, if you never changed a law or changed a perception for the entire world, there's sections of people that are hearing it that then as they're growing up or they're developing a keener interest in this area, they could be the next lawyer yes. or neuroscientist yes. or, or rehabilitation center. Yes. Operative. You know, th that, that's what this is. Yes. It's almost like our goal isn't necessarily to change these things. It's to spark the minds Mind, that will change Yeah, these you're things. right. You're so right. And I think, you know, I did say to you, I wonder if because you're, because I get a really positive feedback, some quite offensive DMs, but on the whole, quite a positive feedback in the comment section. And you were saying, actually, sometimes people are angry at you maybe for opening up this conversation. And I said, I do wonder if it's because you're a man. Yeah. And and it's easier to be angry at a man maybe. I don't know. I don't know. That could be just absolute rubbish. But there's something, isn't there, where they don't like, they don't yeah. like you doing it. Yeah. But I really respect what you're doing. Thank you. And I think, I think I, I've even said to you, off camera that, that, that I would like to keep you in in my pocket for some of the mm. work that I'm doing because I, I actually think you're fundamental in that's amazing in yeah in changing perceptions it's like this I want to try to turn this subject on its head and when I left my job and pursued this taking my story public that was one of my ideas was to try to make this interesting and engaging instead of only sadness and sorrow, which is yeah. what we talked about yeah. before we started recording, because only sadness and sorrow means you turn the other way. Yeah. And also, after doing all that research and speaking to my friends, I could see that um, the survivor circles are strong, but how am I going to get this subject outside of the survivor circles? Yeah, 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 yeah. Onto everybody's table. So I started doing this open mic thing, right? Yes. So I, start, I booked onto my first event, Brixton, 
at a place called the Ritzy, right? Wow. I was well out of place. I was well out of place. There was singers, instrument players, dancers and stuff, right? And I'm there with my story. The first time I'd ever told anybody who I didn't know. Amazing. I'm downstairs grabbing a drink. People are arriving at the event and I've got my head in my hands thinking, you don't have to do this. Like the feeling was probably the most intense feeling I've ever had. There's about 100 people there. Got on stage. I was third on. I look out into the audience. The lights are so bright oh, and God, blinding yeah. me. And I start to tell my story. How did you start, by the way? I'm just, I know this is a detail, but. It's all good. So it was actually an event called um, True Story Spark, True Story, something like that. So it was a story orientated. Right. Um, but some people were like doing their poetry and and it's all like happy, funny stories. Oh my gosh. I spoke about the fact that I just lost my, lost my job and I'm on a mission. And this is the reason why. And it's the first video on my YouTube channel. I've never seen this first video. I'm yeah. going to watch this now. So if you go to my YouTube channel, Jeremy Indica, click videos, you can click oldest. I'm going to go And you to can that. see the first one. And you should see the nerves. You can't believe it. But I love that because it's so authentic. Yeah, it's so real. Yeah. It's so real. And whenever I feel like things aren't going, you know, you get that little voice in your head, I just go to that video. Yeah. I knew what I wanted even from that day, my first open mic, I knew what I wanted because I'm an engineer and I'm oh, programmed to be an engineer. I'm a problem solver. Yeah. Right. I know about mechanisms and yeah. why things, why the output isn't working. Yeah. And so I started open micing. I'm now sleeping at friends and family's houses, moving around the country because I've got no accommodation, right? I've given that all that up and I've got no income, but I had incredible life savings. Right, incredible life savings. I had 65,000 pounds. So you had a little bit of rest space. Right. So I had money in the bank that would do me very good. Yeah. yeah? I'd worked hard for that money yeah. and very kind of interesting with the way life unfolds. You know, when I had all this money in the bank, I thought about getting a mortgage and I thought about this and that and, you know, heard about this property thing. And, you know, I was in this position where I had all this, like this good bank balance. What could I do with it? I could make more money. I didn't do any of those. They felt boring. Thank goodness I didn't invest that money because I had something better to invest yeah. in. Yeah. So I had a, a, a vision. I started open micing. I spent 10 days at my mum's, 10 days at my sister's, 10 days at this friend. And as I started doing this, I started like recording my performances and putting them online. I started writing posts about it. People started knowing about it. All Basically all my friends that had a spare room give me a key to their house. Wow. Anyone that I'd like known along the way, this engineer friend that I worked with over here for two years, like they started seeing what I was putting out there and they all were like, we got a spare room. So I'd move every 10 days, Coventry, Surrey, down in Cornwall, uh, over in Brighton. I'd move and you every, just go to all these? All the open mic nights in those areas. This is the coolest story. I'd spend all day restructuring the performance, thinking about putting that bit at the start. I'm thinking, oh, in the pubs that I, like, you know, then, then when you go to these, like, not London, yeah. right, and you're in a pub, right, and you're like, right, I started doing a bit of rhyming and putting some music behind it. And this is all on your YouTube? All on my YouTube. Then I started with a question. 
can't remember what the question was, but that one worked really well. Yeah. It was it wasn't a question about sexual abuse. It was something else. I can't remember what it was now. It was many years ago. And and it got the in- audience engaged and then I'd slowly lead them into what I was talking about so I started playing around with these ideas trying to be as creative as I could I spent all day doing it and then go and perform in the evening but this was tiring because I'd move every 10 days not to outstay my work welcome everywhere so I had like five t-shirts five two three pairs of jeans like I'd have to recycle this stuff you know minimalistic lifestyle and in doing this in posting about it you know I got to my first thousand followers you know yeah and um on the open mic scene, in particular in London, I start, I found the spoken word community mm. full of creatives mm. and people were like, I've got some camera equipment. Do you want to turn that into like a video? I was like, yeah. They're like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Like I usually charge X amount, but I'll do it. And I was like, yeah, I've got this money. Like let's use this money. So I was paying for my phone bill, my car, my food. Most people were feeding me though. <laughs> And these projects, I started working with animators. I started working with photographers. Amazing. Trying to make this creative, trying to tell the story in different ways. But then the more I learned about it, the more podcasts I started listening, I started talking about the other areas, the offenders, the parents who are suffering after finding out that's happened to their child. What's trauma? What's PTSD? I knew none of this. I knew about machinery, right? So I was was on a journey learning too through making this work and trying to make it artistic. Yeah. So a thousand followers, then I made 2000 followers. Then I got a message from like Europe and then I got a message from, and I was like, oh, this is really doing something. I do this for two years. Sorry, I do this for like a year, let's say, but I'm just spending my money, mm. right? People are worried. Jeremy, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, do you not think that you should engineer and then do this in the evening? Mm. You know, what are you gonna do? All your money's going. Mm. Like, what you're gonna take it to zero? And I was like, yeah, damn right, I'm taking it to zero because by zero, I, I calculate how much time that is. By then, I would have been able to build something. Yeah. But how are you gonna build something, Jeremy? How do you even make money out of something like this? My answer was, I don't know, but I believe something unique can be created. You just I love believe. that. I love it. You've got to believe. You've got to believe creatives, and I don't think people realize. Sometimes they don't realize they are a creative yeah. until yeah. until something like this happens. Yeah. Creative, you don't always have the answer. You so haven't you, got the answer because you're creating it. You're creating it, and and it it works. <sighs> right. Like I'm telling you now, an idea, the training school I mentioned to mm. you earlier, which is launching this year, that was an idea in COVID. Right. It was just starts with an idea, yep. and then my my creative mind starts to do the visualizations, and I sort of described it to you a bit earlier. That didn't come till this year. Well, no, right. I say this year. I mean 2023. Mm-hmm. We're 2024 mm-hmm. now. But that that really didn't come mm-hmm. till this year. And then the writing of it all and the finding the pieces of the puzzle. You don't know when it's first birthed. And it's and it's and it's evolving in your head all the, all time. the time. And you even when you're not thinking about it, it's kind of you are thinking about it. It's like it. it's cooking all the time. Yeah, it's the slow cooker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is it's the slow it cooker. Is. It is. It's so true. But then if you just believe. Actually, you know, all I've got to do is stir that up. And yes, I've got to go without for a long time. But the the, the passion, the uh, purpose, yeah. the drive, yeah. that fire in your belly that was once a pain is now your purpose yeah. and your passion. It works every time. And it's such a driver. It's such it's a driver. such a driver. And it was, for not, it was fun as well. You yeah, know? I bet. Trying to capture that uh, audience's attention. Now, it didn't always go very well. No, I'm sure there were right? times when it didn't. So Peckham, open mic night. The wrong audience, 
the wrong event. I was last on. It's like 11.30. Oh, God. Crowd are half drunk. It's only music, but I've gone. And I always said to myself, every time I wanted to go home, this is stage time and this is what's building you. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. I got up on stage, start doing my thing. I could see there's a some kind of disturbance in the audience, but I can't clock it because I'm trying to remember my lines. Yeah. And a guy stands up and he goes, don't you know this is nighttime entertainment and you come here talking about kids getting touched? Get off the stage. And I'm like, oh my God. Frozen. Another member of the audience stands up and starts shouting at him saying, well, if we can't talk about it now, when can we talk about it? No. Then another member of the audience stands up and says something and then it just turns into this big thing. Were you filming it this night? No, I didn't what film it that shame. night. I didn't film it that night. I picked up the mic. I put the microphone down. I thought, I don't need to be involved in any of this. It started getting real heated. I picked up my backpack and I left. And I got on the bus and I thought, it was another one of those moments where I thought, you should pack this up. This ain't going to work. But it's just a flash thought. Because as soon as that flash thought comes in, it gets overpowered with, yeah, but how can I make sure that never, how can I, how could I have responded better? How could I? There was a moment of magic there, actually. Yeah, that's what people say. Yeah, that is the that's moment of magic. Say. Because that's when you could have, if you'd have had more experience, yeah. you could have cultivated yeah. that conversation. Yeah, that's what people say. Yeah, yeah. That camera's gone off, is that all right? I noticed that. That one's on that. They're all, it, that monitor's only got two hours on it. So it's probably... Oh, no, yeah, it's just under two hours. So okay. it's it's that's the backup. Okay, cool. So it's only backup. So we're still going? We're still going. So yeah, so there's this moment of magic where you could cultivate a wider conversation. A create a conversation. In, in a an environment where, okay, it was volatile perhaps, mm. but with a bit more experience yeah. and a bit more skill, you could have taken that to another level. Yeah. And what people were saying when I started posting about what had happened, because that's what I started doing, explaining the of journey course, as it went. Of course, They were like, what you managed to do was start a conversation in a place that they probably never had the conversation before. And yeah. That's your, uh, that's your goal, isn't it? To get this on people's table that have never thought about it before. In their living rooms, basically. Yeah, yeah. And if you think of pubs and social, uh, men, yeah. working men's clubs, they're the sort of places where that, that would happen. Yeah. That's where people did have yeah. those conversations. Yeah. And it would be over a few drinks. Yes. Yeah. So you were just the, if you like, the fire starter. Yeah. But you yeah. just needed to be there to yeah. make sure that it was controlled. Yeah. However, not the right night to do no. it on that occasion. No. <laughs> and I think maybe after that, I started selecting my nights a bit more uh, purposefully. Or maybe I didn't. Yeah. Maybe I just still continue because I spoke at 100 events. A hundred yeah, events before COVID hit. Yeah. Okay, because that yeah. must have been a moment then yeah. when you're doing all of this work and then COVID hit online. But I then kind of started transforming to YouTube channel and yeah. other things, and things have started to move away. I started doing less and less open mics. Yeah. Because I'd done a lot of them and I'd got that stage presence, and I feel like that was a general uh, shift into yeah. that. So it didn't affect me too much. Yeah, I suppose because you'd already built yeah. the foundations, yeah. so you could now just continue yeah. that. But a year before COVID, I was still feeling this anger that he denied what had gone on. Yeah. Um, and I spoke to my mates about what had happened, uh, what I was feeling. Mm. And they said to me, what are you going to do about it? And I said, 
I just really need to get in front of him. And we brainstormed that. And the only way we could think of doing it was to find out where he lived and knock on his door. Um, for those that are listening <laughs> and not watching, there's not a glitch there. That was just my jaw dropping. <laughs> so I'm running all this open mic thing. I'm doing all this work online. I'm feeling so positive about it. People are concerned about what I'm doing in my life, but they're still supporting me. Strong fa set of friends, strong family supporting me. I still had about two thirds of my money left in my bank. So we were, we were doing okay. I saw a way forward. You know, in my personal life, outside of all of that, I had this problem. So I start digging. I find his dress. This is like Columbo stuff now. <laughs> this is so crazy, isn't it? I mean, think about how many times I've told this story and it's still so crazy every time I tell it. For me, and I've heard, I've spoke it so many times. Now, much like the messaging exchange on social media there's a lot more to this part of the story but i can't tell it so i summarize it in the best way that i can my mates were like we're worried because if he does answer the door how do you know it's not going to get out of hand mm. and the response that i gave was it which was enough for me to feel confident was i'd be very surprised if i got out of hand and it was a strong response yeah. to their concern. Mm. So I drive to his house. I park outside. I look at the door. And I think, okay, I'm going to do it. I, very interestingly, it wasn't a predetermined decision, but I decided to put my phone on voice record and put it in my pocket clever and that proves how confident i was yeah that i wasn't going to lose yeah yeah call. yeah i walk up to the door and i knock porch light comes on key starts turning from the inside the door opens and it's him <gasps> oh god i couldn't believe it and nor could he what 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 did he do? Went to slam the door shut instantly. And I think the most important thing that happened at that moment was I managed to get my foot in front of the door. Mm. And I had chunky vans on. Mm. My toe was on the door and my heel was on the threshold. Right. So physically, yeah. there was no way of getting the door shut. Yeah. And him continuously trying to slam it was not hurting my foot. Yeah. And I started telling him everything that I always wanted to tell him. Wow. I called him out on everything. Wow. I used all the language. Yeah. He's trying to shout over me, trying to drown out my voice. His wife's in the background calling the police. It, it must have sounded like mayhem on the phone. Yeah. It must have sounded like mayhem. Yeah. He calls for a knife. He calls for a knife. Yeah. His wife goes, don't be so stupid. I'm not getting that. And I'm like, oh. Interesting. That's weird. Mm. She knows who I am because she was involved in the police investigation. 
Oh, so she already knows. She knows who I am. Yeah. She would have had to give a statement, right? Of course. This was like a year up. I'm knocking on his door a year after the police investigation. Yeah. Been closed. So, so, so she knows who I am. Yeah. So I thought that was a weird response or a, a response worth looking into. But the police arrive. They come for me. I'm by this point waiting at the end of the drive because I've said everything that I needed to say to him. Yeah. And they jump out of their police cars, blue lights, the lot. They ask me what I'm doing here. I point at the door and I say, that's the man that sexually abused me as a child and I've come to speak to him about it. Mm. Changes everything. Mm. The whole vibe changes. Mm. They go and ask him and his wife some questions. They ask me some questions. They come to me and they say, we're so sorry, but they want to press charges against you. <sighs> so I was handcuffed. Pockets emptied. What's his phone on record for? Oh, just so you've got evidence of everything that just happened. Mm. Oh, okay. Put in the back of the police car. Taken to the station. Belt removed, shoelaces removed, clothes changed in the cell. Looking up at the ceiling thinking, this is not an ideal situation to be in. No. But I got my time in front of him. He didn't manage to slam the door in my face, which would have been something very difficult to deal yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. And his wife didn't get the knife. Yes. Because I don't think I would have moved. <sighs> wow. I don't think I would have moved. No. Because I wasn't scared. Because in that confrontation at the door, I had the power. He was scared. Yeah. Yeah. The tables had turned. Yeah. There was no fear in me. So I was then interviewed. Then COVID hit. There was a court date. Court date kept getting delayed. Adjourned, yeah. Finally, we get to court. <clears throat> and he's there. So I'm there. He's 10 meters away from me. And the charges of this. Stalking for the times for finding out where he lived. Harassment for the times I'd messaged him, asking him to meet me. And assault for leaving a red mark on his chest when I pushed the door open and it hit him. I mean, I'm really angry that you were ever in that situation, mm. as I'm sure you are. Yeah. <laughs> but from someone who's gone through what you've gone through to go through that level of abuse and trauma to then have to face him in that way mm. is the most shocking and awful thing that I can ever imagine for you. It's the craziest thing. It's the craziest thing. But to see him crumble. Yeah. In the dock. Yeah. As the questioning started, can you please confirm why Jeremy was at your door? Um, I don't want to talk about that. Oh, no, I bet you bloody well don't. Because you can't answer that question, can you? Now, my barrister said to me, you are not, we are not here to invest, to try to bring up what's already been investigated and closed. Yeah. Right? We're here for a different situation. Yeah. We're here because you knocked on the door and, yeah. and kept going. It's very black and white in, right. in that, isn't it? Yeah. But that question needed to be answered. Yeah. 
but he couldn't answer it. Now the court day lasted the whole day. It was a whole trial. It was a whole day trial. Magistrates. I was found guilty for the assault, not guilty for stalking and harassment. Thank goodness, because I was looking at six months in prison. Oh my god! They're two crimes that are taken very serious. Yeah. So the court day's over. I walk out of there just feeling so powerful. Like that is, if you want to close a case, right, on the person that exploited you when you were a child sexually yeah. for their sexual fantasy. Yeah. That's, that That was a good finish line for me. Yeah. I'd done everything that I possibly could. Yeah. We still have the problem. Yeah. Right? We still have the bigger problem, no doubt about it. But in yeah. that moment, I could take my piece. Yeah. Okay. So I continue working online. I start making films, animations, photography, get to 10,000 followers. I decide to kick off a movement called Something to Say, giving other people the space to, to speak, which is what we started with. Now I've got massive dreams for all of this work because I wanna do it in the most unique way that I can possibly find. I've recently, starting from last year, managed to break into schools. This mm. is a big, big aim of mine, mm. but it brings big trouble. There's yeah. huge resistance yeah. to this. Yeah. Huge resistance. Yeah. Now, what I don't want to do is replicate the safeguarding training that they're already having. Yeah. What I don't want to do is have a slide up with four types of abuse. No and way. I mean, seven signs to look out for. Yeah, forget I mean, that. I'd be bored writing yeah, it. Yeah, me too. And, and, and to be honest, it doesn't change anything. It's... I mean, I've had to sit in two safeguarding courses this year, driven by somebody calling me out on social media saying, warning, this guy's got no safeguarding, don't bring him into your school. What? Somebody Who? from an abuse prevention charity. You can't believe it, can you? <sighs> you can't believe it. No, I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. I wrote a post replying to that person i didn't name that person but saying what i said and my wife saw it and said pull it down that's the only time i've ever pulled a post down because she said don't react to those people yeah you've reacted with anger right that is not a productive post don't let them win like that it's yeah. weak yeah and that hurt me but yeah. it was the right advice from yeah. her yeah i pulled it down and i wrote another post which was i went and done that safeguarding training because I probably do need it. I just don't need the colleagues like on my team. We're all on the same team. Well, well you would think so. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Don't call me out on social media like Makes that. Makes you question someone's motives though. Because <sighs> then it's all about who's got the bigger title. Right. You know, I really found it truly distasteful. Very. So I have sat through safeguarding training. I see what that's about. And I'm so pleased that teachers are having it every year. But I wanted to try to do something different. So last week I spoke at primary school to teachers. I do half an hour storytelling where I talk through my story. It grips them and it's a not stereotypical story. Yeah. I didn't show any signs, the big thing. Yeah. And then I start talking about some other things and try to leave them feeling confident on a way forward. Now you should see the few times that I've got in front of these students, you should see them. They can't get enough of it. Yeah. When I'm telling this story, they're like so hooked into the storyline. Yeah. Then I finish with a quick 10 minutes of what you can do if you've ever gone through anything yes. like this before. Yeah. And I want to leave with all those boys and those girls, teenagers and children. I go from year seven and above, right? Yes. To feel like 
if that's happened to them and they've never felt like they could speak out, now's the time they can. Yeah. And if they ever come across that situation, it's all good to speak out. And just to see someone who's been through shit and has still lived a successful life with friends, a successful career, and is now talking about it openly, I think is a valuable lesson for young people. I would have loved that when I was going through what I was going through. I would have loved to have seen someone and to know that there was something I could do. So why don't the schools think like because this? Because it's, it's all to do with red tape. And unfortunately, if you look at the tick boxes and the red tape in the education system overall, which is... a I'm banging the same drum because I say it on every episode. The education system fails, and I don't just mean what's being taught, I mean the entire system on almost every single (laughs) level. There is some, obviously, we need an education Mm. system. I'm not saying, I'm not off the Richter scale here, but it's archaic. It it hasn't moved on since 1928, if not before. The, the the safeguarding is a tick box exercise because they have to. Right. There's no... I'm not saying the teachers are at fault for right. this, by the way. It, I am saying systems. Yes. Governments. Yes. It, it does make me wonder, what, what are we actually trying to achieve here, guys? <laughs> you know, what, what is this all about? Yeah. Because it is not about the safety of the child because you're failing on every level. You only have to look at most secondary schools in most towns to see how those kids are being failed, whether it be that they're neurodivergent and they're not getting the support mm. they need because they don't have the piece of paper mm. yet because the waiting list to get a statement is so bloody long and so hard and so stressful that most people don't want to go through that system. Right. So they don't get the piece of paper. So they're labeled naughty and put into isolation all day long. Mm. That's the first problem. Mm. The second problem is what they're being taught doesn't cover the diversity in this country anymore. Mm. And it certainly doesn't teach us how to do our taxes and how to look after <laughs> ourselves properly financially. And then when it comes to safeguarding, they haven't got a clue what they're looking at. This conversation today proves that yeah. not every child falls into the yeah. average safeguarding box. Yeah. Yes, we need a base layer, but we also need to bring into the more into the eyes of the teachers and the students the more complex side of this and not make it just a tick box exercise. But they still won't bring me in. I know. Let's say I've done coming up to 15 schools now i think students three times it's gone phenomenally well every surprised. single time yeah teachers are like telling me that they've never ever been so engaged into a presentation on this topic well, kudos to you but i still can't get the bookings i was meant to be speaking in two weeks on into a boys school a thousand students from year seven to twelve yeah the teacher who had heard me speak at another event was like you're perfect yeah she booked me and then she cancelled. And I think it's got to be something to do with internal politics, yeah. parents backlash, yeah. or they're worried about triggers. Because if one in four, that's the statistic. I oh said my earlier, goodness. Can you imagine? A thousand kids. I said earlier, I don't like the statistics because I don't think they're accurate. I think it's actually more than that. Yeah. If we go with the one in four, yeah. imagine how yeah. much of it. You see, this right. is why they haven't got, this is what I was saying before, they haven't got the systems <laughs> to cope with it because no one's looking at it properly. They're tick boxes. So no crazy. one's looking at it properly. So crazy. It's so crazy. But I will continue. Yes. I continue pushing. I'm I'm relying on word of mouth from every event that yeah. I speak at. The primary school that I just spoke at in Kent, yeah. they're like, we are going to tell every school in our trust about That's you. That's an amazing school. And I'll continue building yeah. um, with a goal of one day renting theatre halls yes. and turning this into like a stand-up show. Yeah. Obviously not comedy. Yeah. But a man and a mic yeah. talking about this stuff. Yeah. And then people can buy tickets and come to it. Yeah. And 
that's the ultimate goal. Well, we we spoke off camera about the, the ideas that I've got and how yes. I, I one million percent think yeah. you would be an amazing, more than amazing. I can't even think of the right word right now, but it, it is game changing. Yeah. Um, it is what you're doing is game changing, and I think that the schools are restricted mm. by that fear. Mm. One in four. Oh my God! Can you yeah. imagine yeah. what we get? A can of worms. That's what they'll think. Yeah. Or who's going to be upset after he speaks? Yeah. yeah. Are they going to be able to take it? Yeah. When I'm like, come on, look at the films they watch, the music lyrics they listen to. Have you to. seen come what on. they've got access to? Do you know what I mean? Like back in the day, you to get to a film that was graded 15 or 18, you used to have to get in the cinema. Yeah, that's right. Now it's just all available. But don't forget the pornography. And the pornography. Like, these these I mean, kids, if you've got a brother, say you've got, uh, you know, a mother's got three kids and the oldest brother is 18. Do you think the 11-year-old hasn't seen porn yet? <laughs> it's, it's in their hands. So if these conversations aren't happening, you're literally adding to the problem. And also, if you want to speak to students, the students in your school, yeah. about knife crime, Yes. About addiction to drugs. Yeah. Right. About gang culture. Yeah. You definitely about need to be including this. Right. You need to bring in somebody who's had life experience. Yes, of that you do. Thing. You do. You need to bring in somebody who's stabbed and been to prison. Yes. You need to bring bring in somebody who's been addicted to A-class drugs yeah, yeah. and is coming and talking about the recovery. Because they can relate right. to the kid. Because they know that right. child. Because they've been that child. Not the teacher talking about it in a classroom yeah. environment. No, you're so right. we agree with that. And every yeah. parent and teacher would agree with that. Yeah. But when it comes to sexual abuse... It's a different story. Why? I know. Why? I know. It shouldn't be. I know. I know. You and I couldn't agree more. I just want to come in and tell an inspirational story and have those kids on the edge of their seat. Yeah. But you won't let me. And they'll relate to you. Oh, it, I will leave them all with something. Yeah. Yeah. So we keep pushing forward. Something to say, organisation. I want to grow that. We have the clothing launched off it, and to see people send in pictures of them wearing it is yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, I've got the Patreon that we've just launched with membership access. We've got the YouTube channel. We've now got a podcast on that side. I also have the Jeremy Indicker stuff with, it, which is my pursuit. Right, bringing on experts onto my podcast, the Jeremy Indicker podcast, to to explore Which this is topic. Phenomenal. More. So you've got you, you like the Louis Theroux of this area. <laughs> I've just been watching these documentaries. I actually. love Louis, <laughs> Louis Theroux. If you're watching, will you please come on my podcast? <laughs> so I'm really going for it, and I believe it's truly possible. I truly believe, like we we've got incredible stories, and we can achieve anything that we set our mind to. I so believe that. Like I've literally fallen in love with you today. Amazing. Everything you do and everything you say resonate so deeply i'm so passionate about what you're doing and i'm i'm determined that everybody that listens to this goes to your pages sees how they can help and how can if someone says because i know you have volunteers yep. and people yep. that are really passionate about what you're doing if someone does want to get involved or help how can they do that so you can contact me at jeremyindica.com we have a set of volunteers and we're always looking for more. People who are passionate and motivated about learning and helping us with the various tasks. Now, also, of course, we've got running costs too, yeah. right? So you can donate at jeremyindica.com too. Yeah. The merchandise which helps is there yeah. too. Yeah. We've also got something to say official.com. Yeah. But we're available on all social media platforms too. Yeah. We run all of them, which is time consuming very so under Jeremy Indica and something to say official. Come and join the journey, right? Yeah. Because I say when we have team meetings, we are going to create something that in 10 years time, we're going to be look, look at what we managed to achieve. Yes, yes. 
look at what we I agree I, I, and I don't think it's going to be 10 years before when you yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, I think yeah, it's going to yeah, be sooner yeah. because you are picking up momentum yes. and you're doing so much work in this space I've got some ideas fizzing away as we speak yeah, which I'm not going to say yeah, in here yeah. but um, like today for me I love doing this by the way I love doing the podcast but today for me has been talking to somebody that's had a similar experience to me that's got the same drivers and the same passion but you're specifically working in that area well, I work broadly with, with lots of different people. And it's nice to see the mirror image. Mm. It's nice to see somebody who is literally as excited. And we were talking before about the hours that we both put in. And, and sometimes it's a bit of a slog. But I said to you, didn't I? I said, I feel so passionate and purposeful that I can't really, I don't feel the level of burnout that you would in a different career. Yes. And after talking to you today, I just feel so there's so much light mm. in me right now from sitting and talking to you. And I hope the people that are listening feel that too. Yeah, me too. Because there's a lot of light. There's a lot of power. There's a lot of strength. There's a lot of courage. There's a lot of hope. There's a lot of all of those good things. You are all of those good things. And I know that there's going to be lots of people inspired and motivated from listening. Thank you. But I want to thank you personally for being somebody else that's doing the work. Because I know that um, what we haven't touched on is for me personally there has there has definitely been a lot of trauma responses and a lot of dark days and you mentioned the dark days there and I know that those dark days will have been there and still are sometimes no doubt so as much as I know that you're doing a lot of work I know that sometimes you're going to have your own moments mm. where you need to sort of disappear for a bit and recharge so thank you for putting so much into it and thank you for being here thank you for coming on thank you for sharing you and everything you do and I can't wait to see what is ahead of you, not just for you personally, but hopefully with me yes. as well. Yes, amazing. And thank you for providing this platform. I really appreciate the invite and what an incredible conversation we've had. Yeah, I know. I'm buzzing. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you.